This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use offer code SNELL. The Incomparable, number 185. March 2014. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I am your host, Jason Snell. And when we were coming up with the idea for this podcast those many years ago, I actually have a tweet. Somebody suggested we do a Babylon 5 episode, and I said, absolutely, we're absolutely going to do it. And it turns out we are going to do it before we hit number 200. But... um, (laughs) Yeah, it took a while, but we, it's, it's finally happening. I have gathered together people I know who, like me, watched all of and treasure Babylon 5, the 1990s era sci-fi series uh, written by J. Michael Straczynski, starring a large and rotating cast of people telling an epic story that was meant to go for five years, except they kind of crammed it into four because they were afraid they were going to get canceled, and then they didn't get canceled, so then they had to, like, say okay let's tell some other stories now but anyway i ha- i look back on the series with great fondness it definitely is of its time in some ways but um in watching some episodes back i was really uh, i really enjoyed it and was reminded why i loved it so much so we're going to talk about babylon 5 and joining me to talk here is my own little league of non-aligned worlds yeah <laughs> there's a reference <laughs> andy and Notko, hi the war the humans i think knew they were doomed where another race would surrender to despair, the humans fought back with greater strength. They made the Mimbari fight for every inch of space. In my life, I have never seen anything like it. They would weep, they would pray, they would say goodbye to their loved ones, and then throw themselves without fear or hesitation at the very face of death itself, never surrendering. Hi, Jason. Hi, <laughs> Andy. Everybody else has got a soliloquy <laughs> planned. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh-oh. Erica Ensign, I heard your voice there. Hello. Hello. Uh, I was just going to say, I am not the one. <laughs> I, not I, the one. Not did, the one. I did not know that um, that uh, that uh, when when we met and I recruited you for this podcast that you were a Babylon 5 viewer. So this is a, 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 a an unexpected bonus. It's very for exciting. both of us, I for, am thrilled. For all of us, I think. <laughs> Chip Sutter is out there. Uh, you've heard him on uh, many Doctor Who related topics, especially. I bring him in. He's my Doctor Who ringer. But turns out that Chip and Erica and I don't know others are doing a Babylon Five podcast that should be coming out soon. Anyway, we'll get to that. Chip, hello. Boom shakalaka laka. Boom shakalaka laka. <laughs> oh man. That was not my favorite moment. But anyway, yes, I, I get reference acknowledged. <laughs> reference acknowledged. Hello, Jason. It's good to have you here. And Mr. Gartenberg. It's uh, Michael Gartenberg. He's back. We talked about Wrath of Khan with him a while ago, and, and he was always on my Babylon 5 list. We finally made it. Hello. Intel Zaveni, Jason. <laughs> and, and, I'd like- and I, w- I want to say the incomparable is my second favorite thing. In the universe. <laughs> oh, oh, and uh, and my 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 next guest is. Wait a second. Sorry, there are no next guesses. Math not Zathras skill. Um, that was my reference. You see, because I didn't have an intro to do. A, the, either way, it is very bad for Zathras. Um, so let it's, me. It's okay, Jason. Anybody after Andy? We, we were all gasping for air after that. Oh no! <laughs> Pretty much. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah. Is, uh, it was either that or the Membari or, or the or the or the Centauri light bulb joke, and I decided to go for go for the Emmy. <laughs> you know, you know, um, we're, we're, we we watched four episodes, uh, um, and I'm going to tell you what they were. And we, I mean, just obviously, we've seen all of them, maybe even multiple times. But we, we for as a refresher, I think we all had our sort of assignment to watch four episodes, one from each of the first four seasons, just to remind ourselves a little bit and be fresh for this. Um, I wanted to mention though, since you mentioned this. Um, the dynamic, especially between Londo and Shakar, and we'll we'll get into the characters. But um, uh, there's a there's a reference that the Babylon Five reference that my family that, that in my house still gets made is um, from the episode where. Uh, Londo and Shakar are trapped in the elevator together, and, and, and Londo. Londo is just shouting, and he's like, "Can anyone hear me?" And Shakar says, "I hear you." Oh. <laughs> we still no, do no, that. I thought I thought you were going to talk about yeah. the, that beautiful last line, where where Jakar like finally realizes that his plan to kill the, to, to allow uh, Londo to die like just didn't didn't work. And, ah, oh no, excuse me. Uh, Londo says, "I hate my life." And Jakar <laughs> yeah. says, "So do and, I." <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and I thought you were going to go with so many fishes or no fishes left in the sea. <laughs> Come on, my spoo is getting kind of uh, old here. Yeah, that's true. I have <laughs> These spoo two was best well done. Is well done. Best are fresh. Uh, that's true. So, Babylon Five. Uh, we're, many characters, big storylines uh, came out in the 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 mid to late nineties. Um, it was uh, a new age. No, that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> so many references here to pack in. We watched. So, just for the record, we watched. Uh, Midnight on the Firing Line from Season 1, In the Shadow of Zahadoom from Season 2, Interludes and Examinations from Season 3, and No Surrender, No Retreat from Season 4. And we'll talk about them, but we are going to do a non-spoiler section where we talk about why we like Babylon 5 without getting into so many details about where the show goes in terms of its story. And uh, and so don't, if you're thinking about, oh, this sounds interesting, maybe I'll watch this show sometime, stick around at least until the spoiler horn, I ask you. And um, I don't know, where, where do you guys think we should begin? Should we start with the characters? I mean, that that's one of the things that I think struck me in watching these these four episodes back is it was not just, oh, I remember that storyline and wasn't that interesting, but it's like, you know, I, I immediately st- thought, oh, Londo and Shakar and mm-hmm. uh, and and John Sheridan and Delenn and Veer, who is uh, obviously um, Londo's aide, who is is uh, played for laughs until you realize he's actually quite a great character and not just a joke at all. Um, and so many other, you know, Mr. Garibaldi and uh, security chief Zach and uh, Dr. Franklin and and just and Ivanova, of course. What a crazy character, uh, Susan Ivanova, the second in command. And and uh, so I think we should start there and just you know if, if about these characters because I think in in hindsight the story arc of Babylon Five, which was at its time fairly groundbreaking to do tell this story over the course of a lot a long time, it got a lot of attention. But you know you come maybe come for the story arc, but you got to stay for the characters and the characters. Uh, especially that Londo and Jakar pairing of the two ambassadors from you know lifelong enemy uh, alien races. Uh, that's what stuck with me, and that was what felt like home when I watched these episodes back. Especially when you compare where they wind up to where they start off, I, I have to I have to admit that I, I, I was fool- no no no, oh, no again this, you know they they I'm I'm simply selling the point as a as a as a bullet point feature on the side of the box yes, of Babylon good, good, Five good, 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 excellent is that 
is that characters evolve. You don't have simply there was there was nobody whispering in J. Michael Straczynski's ear. Now remember, we don't know in what order people are going to see these, so we have to reset everything. And if you, if your characters are archetypical, well, they don't have to change in personality or what your understanding of who they are. And I, I have to admit that I, I think that one of the most one of the brilliant things about this show was that that I hated the the pilot. Because all, each of these each of these characters is sort of the science fiction archetype, and of course I had to you know pre pre you know internet podcast I had my oh this is so lame oh good so you got the Vulcans who are like all like peaceful and whatnot and then you got the the characters that are cle- the the you got the Narn they're clearly the Klingons and then okay great another like warrior race. And then, you know, then not knowing until like long, long after that, that no, this is where every this he started. I think he populated this pilot with art with that those kind of tropes so that he would have room to move them around on the on the on the chessboard later on. And so it wasn't until I think it was you, Jason, who was the 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 the, the strongest voice saying, "No, dude, you ha- it's season two. I know what you're talking about. It's much better now." That got me absolutely hooked on it in season two. So it's that evolution that, you know, even when even when we were I was watching like a half dozen or a dozen episodes over the past week or so to see that I see the pilot, then I see season two, season three, season four, and just seeing that, oh man, if I could tell this character in season two, honey, you have no idea what's happening, what what's gonna happen to you next year, how interesting it is that you felt that way right now. So that that's what the signature uh great feature of, of the show is for me. In fact, it's it's very clear from the first season and the way that story goes that um, he and he he set Joe Straczynski has set these characters on a path for them to be everything that they didn't expect to be and that we didn't expect them to be. Like there's no no character goes, especially the the alien characters that we expect to be these archetypes, but even the humans, they all have a story arc and they all are leading somewhere that is unexpected that that is counter to all of the expectations from your usual sci-fi kind of trope absolutely and on top of that the um the a lot of this character development comes from pitting the characters against each other um it's not uh, it's not a star trek scenario where the a, a single monolithic cast encounters the guest stars of the week and if the characters are changed afterward um, that's an unexpected bonus because it's episodic television. But um, Jakar versus Londo, um, uh, the Kosh versus well, Kosh versus and whatever agenda it is that he is playing out. <laughs> uh, the secret <laughs> villains who show up later on. Uh, everything. It's 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 very arc heavy storytelling, and you might and it's very plot centric. It's 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 a heavily plotted story. But the plot is basically character A wants this. Character B is willing to stop character A. What happens next? And that's the thing that just makes me eat up this show with a spoon. It's the evolution of these characters as they evolve over the four years. They're not the same people we met early on or or who we thought we met early on. Um, you know, Londo in, in some of the first episodes comes across as just sort of a buffoon. Um, you know, who's going to take him very, very seriously? Um, Sinclair doesn't necessarily come off and he's clearly no uh, Captain Picard or, 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 you know, everyone changes um and their relationships change um close friends are suddenly not you know not so close by the end of uh the 
arc. And you have tremendous consistency through the story, which, again, is a you know, person drives me crazy, the inconsistencies. Um, going back and watching this, I kind of realized, you know, watching this episode again, just start you know, midnight on the firing line, wow, there's things here that totally don't make any sense or you wouldn't notice until season two or season three. Yeah. Um, and that it was all thought out. Just subtle little things that, you know, when you hit it, you go, oh, yeah, I remember that from, you know, season one, episode four. And um, now that reference makes particular sense. Um, and he kept doing that consistently. Um, he wasn't afraid to shuffle the deck from time to time. Um, he wasn't afraid to throw a surprise or two at us from time to time. And um, I think even the way they resolved it, you know, it, it kind of got to the point where it's sort of like, OK, I get this. You know, yeah. it's it, this is the this is like, OK, we've seen this before. You know, it's good versus evil. And then we get to a point like, well, what was it really about? <laughs> right. um, before we get too far off of characters, I just want to jump back in and yes. say that um, the consistency of, of character, I think, also comes through. It's they had, as you all said amazing arcs just within themselves the the uh, characters definitely developed but i recently went through and did an entire rewatch of the whole five years and then uh jumped back to uh watch the first episode midnight on the firing line for this and i was really struck by how the characters are still the same people uh, Londo in the first episode is completely different from the Londo in the last episode. He he really has a, a very big change to his personality, but it's a natural development. It's not like the writer came in and very clunkily changed the character to suit the narrative and called it character development, which you sometimes see. This, you look at, at Londo and you can... Going back, it was like, oh wow, this is young Londo. This is this is mm-hmm. him as a, a kid, not really a kid, but, but before it, he it experienced struck- everything. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a scene in, uh, is it No Surrender, No Retreat, where where Londo says to to Jakar um, something about you know, it's been a bad year, it's been a difficult year, and you can see <laughs> mm-hmm. these four years have been you know momentous and has it's changed everybody and there's an acknowledgement of that and when you look back to the beginning you can see it that the, these these characters change um as a result of the the what happens to them in the story which is you know that's how it's supposed to be and that is yep. how it is with a lot of tv now but in the day you know the benchmark in mm-hmm. it, when babylon 5 came on the air was star trek the next generation essentially the only um, show that was that had been on for any length of time that was a sci-fi show and it was all standalone episodes as were most mainstream dramas at this time so to tell this story and and tell it over time and let those characters grow and change and not reset every week was uh, pretty dramatic yeah but even like arc shows like lost right the characters kind of for the most part don't change at least they didn't to me um they were all more or less the same they go through some you know evolution here you had characters really evolve um and sometimes changing and then changing again because that's what we all do like as they're reacting to the circumstances that are constantly changing around them um and and, and that was powerful it's even more than that. I'd like to see what uh, you and Jason are saying and raise it. It's not just about what's happening to the characters, but it's about the choices that the characters make. Um, Londo, in particular, um, in 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 some <laughs> respects, he, his 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 story is possibly the axis around which the whole uh, the whole series revolves. But most of the characters, if not all of them. Um, something happens and they react to it and they make a decision. And that's one of the yep. things that Straczynski seemed to 
talk up a lot when he was um, uh, peeking, letting fans see behind the curtain about what he was trying to do is that um, these characters these characters change as a result of the decisions, the good ones and the bad ones that they make. And most of the characters are allowed to make some pretty horrible decisions, not breaking bad level decisions, but some, <laughs> they, they, they are allowed to make some mistakes and have to right. clean up their messes. Or be manipulated into making decisions, um, which happens quite a lot. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a signature for me for for great storytelling. Where don't just let a character walk away from something that they did because that's going to change who that's that's going to change their behavior. It's going to change the behavior of people around them, and it's not exclusive to Babylon Five. I still I still hold up the Shield as probably the single greatest continuous drama uh, on television. And the mag- the magical thing about that show is that it's all about the pilot episode. It, everything that happens over seven seasons are repercussions from the first what happens in the first episode. And Babylon Five also plugs into that same mojo. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but but because Babylon Five was not the first at a lot of this stuff, but it was one of the first, and. Uh, you know how Joe Straczynski took this story that was a back. It was a pilot a TV movie with no series commitment on a network that wasn't a network, and yet had the fortitude to say, "I'm going to tell a five year story." And the fact that he actually did get to tell a five year story, it's kind of amazing. Um, but he that was there from the beginning on syndicated television, no less. And right, almost every episode, every yeah, just about every. It, Every just about every episode was yeah. totally written by him. In fact, it was um, one of the, the the things that I read was there was a couple of episodes where there appeared to be ad libs, and someone asked him, you know, like one of those ad libs, no. and he goes, "There's no ad libbing on my show. Um, <laughs> every word is as I wrote it. <laughs> it was meant to be there." He goes, "Yeah, we, we I do not tolerate ad libbing." Yeah, in the last three years, I think there was one episode he didn't write, which was the Neil Gaiman Neil Gaiman's episode in the fifth year before before Neil Gaiman guest starred on as a Doctor Who writer. He guest starred as a Babylon Five writer. And right. the fifth season is sort of questionable. Yeah, canonical actually, or <laughs> in my, it's sort of like the West Wing. In my mind, it ended after four seasons. Is, is there a, is there a word in fandom for like the the the, the times where there's an, an episode or a whole season where we all just decide that well that was a dream sequence that didn't actually happen it's there is the, no the, fandom in the entire world where yeah. everybody agrees on anything it's the phantom menace <laughs> the phantom menace i think we can all agree never took place nope i like the phantom menace <laughs> okay there you go <laughs> it's your personal canon that uh that that you know i like to believe the buffy the vampire slayer uh, ended after five years, and then uh, she had a dream as she was dying of, of being in a musical, and then that was the. End. But that is not the case. They did make seven seasons right. of it. This isn't the Buffy episode. I, I wanted to say um, we should talk uh, uh, while we're still being general and not blowing the spoiler horn. Um, one of the notable things about Babylon Five is it was it was the first sci-fi show to make great use of CGI, um, which we now think of as sort of like everything uses CGI. Even all the non-sci-fi shows you see. CGI to do compositing and things, but Babylon 5 was the first space show where the spaceships were all, or at least the first mainstream show that where the spaceships are all models, everything is done in a computer, they're computer models, they're 3D models, Star Trek used the old school way of doing this, it was, it was a few years after Jurassic Park, but on a TV budget, a, a very small, looking at some of those sets, very small TV budget, um, to do uh, what they did with their graphics and over the course of time it kept getting better when they started it was like light wave running on an amiga yeah. <laughs> but um by the time i remember i remember um seeing a scene 
and being blown away by it. And it actually is in No Surrender, No Retreat. There is a scene where Sheridan is standing at the at the front of the bridge of a, of a spaceship and the and out the windows you can see the space battle as it's going on. And the camera is not locked down and it's moving around and panning and the space battle moves with it and there's perspective change. And I remember seeing that going, no, 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 no. How? No, no. How can that be? <laughs> And because they back in the de- that day, they didn't do that, and there were guys with After Effects on Macs because I, I actually went and saw them do this, um, doing that frame by frame. And now, you know, that happens on every TV show. But back then, that was like the first time you saw stuff like yeah. that on TV. And so that's an interesting thing about this show too is that some of the CGI looks really dated now. But I mean, by the time Deep Space Nine got off the air, Star Trek was using CGI for almost everything. Well, that was the big debate, you know, among the geeks. Um, um, you know, models, models versus, versus CGI. CGI. <laughs> and now you look at the episodes and you go, um, you know, modern CGI, you look at it and go, wow, that looks real. Now you look at Babylon 5 and go, that's pretty good CGI. <laughs> it's a video. It looks like a video right. game. Yeah, it's, it's about on par with, you know, an iPhone graphics. It does. <laughs> Yeah, the CGI was actually what kept me from getting into the show uh, for as as long as I sort of held out. The, the way I I came to Babylon Five was uh, somewhere in the second or third season, I think it was, and uh, we had Deep Space Nine night. I was in college, and I would go to my uh, my friends Max and Jeff's dorm room, and we would watch Deep Space Nine every Sunday. I think it was Sunday. And there was this other show on before it called Babylon 5, and we would always catch the end of it, the last few minutes. Oh, they put them back to back. Yeah, That's so wrong. They sure did. And oh. Someone had a wicked sense of humor in programming. <laughs> so we would catch little bits, and we'd be like, what is this ridiculous show? Look at those stupid-looking ships. They're, we made fun of it. And then as time went on, I would get there earlier and earlier, and we would catch more that- and more of this other show. And... Suddenly we realized, like, actually, this show's really good. And then after a few more weeks of that, Deep Space Nine night became Babylon 5 night, and we stopped watching Deep Space Nine. <gasps> <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> well, that, 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 was, that was another reason why it was, uh, Babylon 5 was so much more exciting than any Star Trek series. Because only in retrospect, after seeing a couple seasons of Babylon 5, did you realize that, like, I think the reason why, like, the Enterprise and Starfleet were so big on, like, we, we must, cling su- on high, high commander, <laughs> we must settle this diplomatically because we cannot afford to animate a space battle. Just keep your ship exactly where it is, don't move, and just keep it in the view screen. Whereas this Babylon 5, you can actually have, well, let's see, there are multiple alien races. I bet each one of them would have a different style of ship. And Babylon 5 was like the first one that made me realize, yeah, yeah, wait a minute. How come we never see – how come Starfleet doesn't have oh, any yeah. fighter ships? Any, we, you never send it like – it's like you never have like a, one of those dog fights like we enjoyed in Star Wars and every, every series before that. Not only that, but in Starfleet, all ships uh, uh, had to fly on a single plane. Right, right. You know the, 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 you, you'd have, you'd have star you'd have starships approaching each other they're the same angle and all the other stuff. Meanwhile, Babylon Five, you have ships that are actually respecting the laws of physics. The Star Furies that were introduced in that first episode, Midnight on the Firing Line. Yeah, the animation's a little primitive by today's standards, but you see them flipping around and flying backwards, uh, using their own inertia to take out other ships and things like that. It's it. Yeah, and I don't lovely. I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into a Star Trek versus Babylon 5 yeah, thing because not. I am I am a big Star Trek fan and I grew up on the original series and I love the next generation and I like Deep Space 9. I I don't I think there's a, a fans like to fight about things, you know, but yeah, big shock. Also known as having opinions, Jason. <laughs> Can't we all just get along? 
they're, they're, they're just so different. They're, yeah, they're just so different shows you can't really compare. And that was my point exactly, which is what I like. What I loved about Babylon 5 was all the ways that it wasn't like Star Trek. And that yeah. doesn't mean that I didn't like Star Trek. But I, what I liked about Babylon 5 is it, it pushed a lot of buttons that Star Trek didn't. Things that I remember from reading lots of sci-fi novels as a kid and as a teenager that weren't things I saw in Star Trek. Because Star Trek was the way that it had been set up in the 60s by Gene Roddenberry. It was going to be that. And Babylon 5, I think purposefully because Joe Straczynski also a giant Star Trek fan was trying to do stuff that Star Trek couldn't he knew he was going to be you know an alternative to Star Trek he didn't want to be Star Trek and he he got tired of getting compared to it and I think so you can like you can like them both but, but the reason I like B5 has a lot more to do with all the ways that it's not Star Trek rather than it being like which one is the better Star Trek Deep Space Nine or Babylon 5 because it's a completely false comparison Time for a sponsor break. I want to tell you guys about New Relic. New Relic is software analytics that helps make sense of billions of metrics across millions of applications all in real time. Now, it's 2014. One thing people are really focused on this year, seamless application performance across multiple platforms on all of their devices. It sounds simple, but making an app work consistently well on different devices with different operating systems running different types of software is super complex. Now, back in the old days, like 2007, when the iPhone came out, it was basically impossible for app developers to know how the apps were performing once they got shipped. You you know, spend all your time doing internal bug hunts, you cross your fingers, hope for the best, and then you sit around monitoring social media and the App Store reviews and hope that your app doesn't get terrible reviews because there's a bug that you didn't know until it was too late. Those days are over. With tools like New Relic, you can track your application performance down to the end user level in real time. You can spot the problems and find the bugs and fix your code before the users even notice something is wrong. That is the power of the real-time information of New Relic. So if you're an app developer or a web developer, you owe it to yourself to go check out New Relic. Visit newrelic.com slash incomparable to learn more and use the offer code incomparable to take advantage of a special 30-day extended free pro trial available just for listeners of the incomparable that's newrelic.com slash incomparable. And thanks to New Relic for sponsoring The Incomparable. The episode that I was actually watching, it was actually a Babylon 5 that I was watching that ended just as you were starting, as we were starting the show, was uh, Intersections in Real Time. Oh. And mm. I, I, no, no, no spoilers, although this isn't a spoilery thing, but uh, both... Uh, both Babylon Five and uh, and Star Trek: The Next Generation had the episode in which a high profile character is interrogated for the entire episode. Yes, and I think that the reason it, I think that 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 episode of Babylon Five really encaps, encapsulates why I happen to prefer Babylon Five because you know if the the one the one with uh, we can we can spoil the Next Generation. Sure, this is, this, this is not the, the Next one. Generation <laughs> podcast. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> screw them. Uh, the, like so, the, and Picard's being interrogated, and the Inquisitor is like, "Well, you know, I'm sorry to have to interrogate you like this. You know that I was raised a scientist. You know, I was a small boy who chased frogs in Galambone Four, and I my I had a teacher named Mister like uh, just like the interrogator's opening up to him and telling him all this stuff, and the entire episode is about how Picard gets over gets it over on him and puts the inquisitor in his place and gets rescued and says defiantly there are four lights or yeah. whatever it is he says through those parts yeah, that's, right it, that's, that's it. it you got it 
Right. Whereas with Babylon 5, it's like, no, you don't understand. This character is being interrogated by an experienced interrogator in a facility where they do nothing but interrogate enemies all day long. If the, if if this character is – there's nothing about this situation that they don't control. This character is completely screwed. And any time that, that he's happy, it's only because they have manipulated things to make him feel happy. And by the end of the episode, maybe you're going to find out that this is – it's like th- this is the point at which I'm like sort of standing up and applauding because I I, I didn't I didn't dislike uh, uh, Next Generation but again if w- the times when that that series disappointed me was when it seemed as though there was a storyline that said well this obviously has to end this way because there's there's absolutely no way in hell that this this storyline is going to end with a person who grew up in a hundred thousand year old civilization where they euthanize everybody at age sixty five is suddenly going to decide that that's all BS. That's not going to work. That's not going to happen. Oh wait, that's exactly what happened. Okay. <laughs> Again, I don't know if we're for for getting into spoiler territory here, oh. but even the changes um, between uh, who was running Babylon Five between the first season and the second season. Second season started like. Who the hell is he? <laughs> what, what, what the hell's going on here? Because yeah. um, there was no explanation given whatsoever. Um, we didn't come to understand the reasoning why things happened until much later on. And of course, you know, being a cynical person's figured like, you know, um, oh, someone must have had a contract dispute or something like that. Um, you know, they're, they're just going to pretend that there are, you know, two Darrens unbewitched. You know? <laughs> well, you mentioned you mentioned Lost earlier. And I mean, this is one of the, the facts of any long running TV show is you're going to have casting problems that are not story problems. And, you know, Lost probably had some story problems, too. I love I love Lost. I you know, it's it's that's just my cross to bear. But the fact is <laughs> they um, they also had casting problems. Mankind is born into trouble just as surely as sparks fly upward, and some people have to have to buy the DVDs. Some people so. have to buy the Blu-rays of Lost, and I, I do have them. But you know, th- my point is, uh, casting is also a problem. And so, in Babylon Five, you did have actors who had to leave, and they had to get. You know, I think Sinsky always called it trap trapdoors. He had trapdoors there that he could <laughs> he could pull if he needed to, and uh, one of them was. Uh, Michael O'Hare had to leave after the first season. I think that it's come out in the, in, in recent years that he was struggling with mental illness, and um, it, they kept it quiet. But he he and he got through that season. But he needed to not be on the show anymore. And then you also had examples like um, oh uh, Talia Winters, uh, that actress uh, wanted out, and uh, so they wrote her out. And uh, Claudia Christian, Boy, howdy, yeah, and Claudia Christian uh, had a contract negotiation problem, and you know they, it, it happened as they went, and and some of that stuff just happens on TV. That's just that's just how it is, and and uh, you know audiences get uh, sad about it. I I, I was gonna uh, let's fire off the spoiler horn. How about that? We've we've said a lot of things. Unless you guys have you you before we do that, do you want to talk a little bit more about you know reasons that you like the show, or do you think we should enter uh, spoiler territory? I'd I'd be kind of interested in talking about um and i hate to bring this up because this is the age-old doctor who question but if people are interested in it where to start because i know uh, many people are not super fond of the first season and i i am not one of those people i thought i was a couple years ago i was like oh yeah first season was crap but when i went back and rewatched the whole thing this time i i found myself going oh wait i like this episode oh yeah this one's really good too so i'm actually now a, a staunch defender of the first season 
but I think a lot of that may come from the fact that I watched the rest of it so I can see kind of where it's going um, and I'm just wondering like I said I jumped in the first time around in the second to third season and I'm wondering if you guys think if if people are interested in the show should they start at the beginning and just power through or maybe check it out in the middle thoughts i i would recommend uh the the tnt tv movie babylon 5 in the beginning as a starting point really um, it, but it's so really. spoilery it ruins yeah, so many of the mysteries the end. well yeah. well it it it's spo- it, it, it spoils the end and uh one key point about about one key mystery in series 1 on the other hand if you're trying to get somebody into the show uh, this would this would be when it premiered on the TNT network. Uh, I had a room full of people that I invited over for a Babylon Five party who had never seen the show, and they they were enraptured. It was uh, it went over huh. it went over better than I than I could have thought. That was brave and, of you. <laughs> uh, and and when you and when you watch in the beginning. Um, and then go into the first season. Although some of the spoilers are kick over, then some of the other the resistance that comes up when you watch this uneven first season, where they're where they're sort of finding their way, um, you see enough of the context in these other other episodes. Um, so that would be my vote. You have so my, convinced my, me. My my vote would be power through it um, because there's so much that happens in that first season that you're right. It's like it's like reading a Tom Clancy book. You, know, you have to get 300 pages into it before you even know who the characters are. But the book doesn't make any sense without it, and then you're missing quite a lot um, because there's so much foreshadowing in that first season. That's the problem with foreshadowing. Um, it, it can be a little bit boring at times until you uh, get into it. But you know, I would tell people if you're going to commit, power through it. Um, watch uh, start with the pilot suffer through it because um, it isn't <laughs> yeah, as good as the bad. rest yeah. that is just bad. Um, but you should still you should you should still suffer through it just to get a sense of the show we, we try um, not to say suffer quite so much we're trying to get people interested <laughs> um, and actually at, at which pilot are you talking about because there are two versions of it yeah, which um, whatever one you can get, the one with you, yeah. the one with the Stuart Copeland soundtrack, or the one that was rescored. <laughs> yeah, what happened was the the pilot the pilot is called The Gathering, and you can get it in, on on DVD if you if you if you go for the DVD sets. Um, um, the one that you will get is the one that was re-edited for TNT and aired. Um, and the it's been rescored, it's been re-edited, tightened up. There's more stuff to it. On balance, I good. think it's much. <laughs> I think I like it. I it, like it, it. I thought I found it cringeworthy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't love it. Um, and but it's hard know, to not. Fact... It's hard to not have it. Mm-hmm. But, right, uh, but the the version the version on iTunes. I don't know about the other digital services, but the version on iTunes is the original edit with the Stuart Copeland soundtrack and uh, other stuff. And I I don't like it as much. If you like your Babylon Five sounding like an episode of The Equalizer. That is the version. <laughs> that is the version for you. I think you got to watch season one, and and I'm going to say you could probably somebody could probably construct a, a a viewing guide that included half the episodes of season one, and probably you could get the flavor for it, or you can just power through it. I I, I think the reasons the big reasons you you can't do it. I mean, the number one reason is Sinclair. I, he is that is a. That is a character that grows on you, and by the end of the season, that's the real shame of him of, of him uh, uh, leaving the show, which he does. Sorry, little spoiler there, but I mean, it's a, a minor, <laughs> honestly, in the grand scheme of things. He leaves the he leaves the show as, as a regular after the first season. He he grows on you and ends up being a, he's not 
the uh, the Star Trek captain that you're sort of expecting, and he is this very different kind of guy, and he ends up being really kind of endearing and interesting. Also, Michael O'Hare's performance is not what you expect from your leading man and that takes some getting used to but in the end you know i think you need to have that experience with sinclair and you need to see where things get set up with him and his relationship with delenn so that when bruce boxleitner comes in as sheridan which i would argue is the moment where the show clinched that it was going to be around that they got somebody people knew and a really good I, i think good actor with a good character and i think that was the moment where for me the show fire is when Bruce Boxleitner walked on the on the on the set and it was like oh this guy I know this guy he's got you know he's got command but you can't you got to have that Sinclair stuff and you got to have his relationship with Garibaldi and you've got to have the Babylon Squared episode before you see Sinclair or before you see Sheridan so I think you gotta you gotta watch season one and he's so different than Sheridan they didn't, they didn't yeah, the contrast cast, is a They big didn't deal. try and cast someone and say, let's make, um, you know, uh, Sheridan just out of the Sinclair mode. Um, you know, we'll, <laughs> now we'll just playing play the part of Jeffrey Sinclair. <laughs> um, I, I also agree that power through season one, we're, 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 we're making fun of it because we're fans. It really isn't as bad as we're jokingly making it out to be. It's just that this is a, this is a cruise ship lo- leaving the terminal that is not going to show its full power until it's left port. That's the and that's what yeah. you have to deal with. The, the, well, the, the strength, same time, though, the I strength think is the arc episodes, episodes, and there's a lot fewer arc episodes in season one because right. you got to get everybody used to it. And yeah, you know they they hadn't figured out how to shoot it, they hadn't figured out how to direct it. The CGI is still kind of a work in progress. Everything is like powering up in season one, which is not to say that it's yeah. terrible, but everything is not where it's going to be by season two. Right, but, but that you, in you bring itself up, you bring up a really great point in that there are arc. There, there, there are arc and there are non-arc episodes, and some of them are. What was the term that uh, J. Malcolm used to say? That there is like the sledgehammer episodes, where this is one of the, the big, wham, big episodes. Wham, episodes. The wh- wham episode, right? So you you can probably come up with a list of non-arc episodes, like uh, intersections in real time. As I was watching it, I was I was struck by the fact that if you had never seen, if you if 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 uh, there were no syndication of this show whatsoever and no DVDs. They could sell this just as an episode of an anthology series because all you need – it doesn't connect to anything or any stories outside in a profound way. If all you know uh, – you get from the first five minutes of the episode that there is somebody who is in some sort of large military organization. The government that owns that military organization seems to think that he has be- de- defected and now he's being interrogated. And that's really all you need. I was also thinking of uh, another one of my favorite, favorite episodes, uh, Passing Through Gethsemane, uh, which is the episode in which you you also see it's such a gutsy episode because it it introduces a new character. So you don't have to know my mile of backstory, but powerful, dramatic moment with serious consequences that are dealt with within the episode. And it also shows you it's, it's, it's a good calling card because. I don't know if a lot of these series would have had the guts to be explicit about the religion of future of the future world. That we're no, we're not going to say that. Well, of course, we, we in in olden times we pray to pagan gods, but of course now we understand that there is science behind all of this. No, there are monks, and there are religious orders, <laughs> and there are people who celebrate Hanukkah yeah. and they light menorahs, and the and the and the monks are actually very intelligent, sharp people who have who are very very adept. They're 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 like Jesuits, really. 
because they're willing to say there's absolutely there's absolutely no conflict between the fact that there are a million different races. Uh, as a matter of fact, that gives us the impetus to find out why how they see their God and how does it compare to how we see our God. So, so I wanted it's, it's, I wanted to mention in par- Parliament of Dreams is an episode where we see lots of aliens and we see lots of religious beliefs and what one of the things that, and it won an Emmy actually for makeup, but um, <laughs> it also won Joe Straczynski. Uh, an award for uh, covering religious themes in television, which is fascinating because he is a uh, he has a religious background but is an atheist, and yet he didn't shy away from saying, you know, when we go out in space, you know, all the stuff that we have with us here, it's going to come with us, and it's not going to disappear. It's still going to be there, and maybe if we meet aliens, they're going to have some of their own beliefs, and wouldn't it be interesting to talk about that? And that's and he did, and and I, that's. Another thing that I think uh, you don't see in sci-fi TV a lot, <laughs> uh, and you're right about those standalone episodes. I could I could hand the we the Wham episodes are great, and then uh, but I I just was scrolling through the Lurker's Guide to Babylon Five, which is was the uh, very uh, early and definitive uh, TV resource, L- and, largely authored by whom? St- uh, so Stephen Grimm <laughs> is the is the fellow's name. Uh, uh, and I, I met but there's him. another name that I saw on that side. It's just popping I, up over. My, over my name over appears on about four four episodes because I was willing to read the spoilers from the episodes that aired in the UK before they aired in the US and edit those pages for Stephen because he didn't want to be spoiled. And when somebody very <laughs> nice in the UK sent Stephen those episodes on a VHS tape, he invited me to come down and see the thing I'd already been spoiled on. So uh-huh. I got to watch watch four episodes of Babylon Five with uh, the guy who did the Lurkers Guide, which was pretty cool. Awesome. And the Lurker's Guide still up, it's, um, amazingly enough. It is still up at midwinter.com slash lurk, even now. If you, ki- if you kids want to see what the internet looked like in 1999. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, the navigation bar is only like one quarter the size of your screen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's those, it was formatted for VGA. Those were the days. But if you go to the front page, you'll see that he's put it all up on GitHub. Now, you, now kids, you don't really, you don't necessarily have to have the real, real player plug-in. No. No, definitely not, because my modem can't handle that kind of data. Uh, but anyway, there are a lot of great there are a lot of great standalone episodes up there. Um, I, you know, Quality of Mercy with June Lockhart as the woman who's mysteriously healing people in the down below, and and uh, but, but even uh, those episodes, in some way or another, got worked into the arc. Even so, the standalone episodes, you didn't have to see yeah. the rest of them; they were okay. But one way or another, he found ways of working all the standalone episodes for the most part. It's, it's some level into the arc. Things came back. It's true. Right? That, like that episode is a great example. The, um, the June Lockhart The healing episode. machine comes the back. The healing machine, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, we thought that was totally done with. And um, surprisingly enough, it, it, you know. He kept it around as uh, just, I might need that in a, for a rainy day. And he, and he used it. Okay, let's fire off the spoiler horn. All right, we're 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 able to. So Sinclair's Valen. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to say it. get that out, doesn't it? Okay, and Luke. Oh, father is I feel leader. so much better now. Um, uh, it's funny, actually. I wanted to mention before before we talk a little bit more about the story arc. We were talking about standalone episodes, and um, maybe we could we could talk about favorite episodes briefly. Um, and I'm going to say. Uh, we picked some really good episodes for this. Obviously, I, th- I think "No Surrender, No S- No Retreat" is a really great one. Um, uh, Interludes and examinations, which sounds very much like it's going to be an episode in which nothing happens, and in fact, shocking <laughs> amounts of things happen. Mm-hmm. And the room gets mighty dusty when Kasha's ship flies itself into the sun. 
because Kosh has been we realize what he's been trying to tell Sheridan is you're right. We need to do this thing and attack the shadows and they're going to kill me. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to be able to protect you. Rance Howard. <laughs> Rance Howard appears. I, I suppose oh. the older you get, the more set in your ways you get, the more you don't, I guess I just try to help as much as I could. Well, Did, oh, oh, for, for those that are watching new, um, Straczynski always said the episodes with the most innocuous titles are the ones <laughs> yep. to worry about. Oh, my God. <laughs> I never got so broken up about the death of a toilet seat bowl ever. <laughs> it's a beautiful to- sort of tortoiseshell pattern on the toilet seat bowl. And gosh, mm-hmm. I, I, I seriously, Kosh, what a strange character. And obviously we never see him. He's a, he's a, he, it's a puppeteer and then a, a, a dubbed in voice. But um, has amazing dialogue. Michael and I will often say to each other uh, on Twitter that the you know the avalanche has already begun. It's too late for the pebbles to vote, right? Oh, <laughs> yes. Or you yes, have yes. forgotten something. But at the end, there when Kosh is attacked by the shadows, it's upsetting. That you feel sad that this character who was not portrayed by an actor <laughs> is dead. It's it's and, really and you upsetting. Beautiful about that particular scene is they don't show like. Shadows taking out lightsabers and, and you know, Kosh taking out his, you know, Vorlon weapon. His three-edged um, sword. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's it, it sort of happens in a blur because there's really, how do you portray that? And he didn't bother. They're on um, a totally different level. Yeah. It, it, anything else would have kind of just made it look cheap. And then that one moment, you know, where the surge of energy goes to the ship, like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then... And 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 the room the room turns bright and uh, Ed Wasser closes his eyes and that's just you know that's it it it, it is a signature moment for that show. Yeah, there there are a lot of moments like that where you you wonder what it's easy to be I'm sure fraudulent to be armchair psychologist and try to think about the relationship that the creator of this show must have had with his father because there are a lot of interludes like that where somebody has a conversation with their father or someone that has a fatherly relationship with like for for me there was this is me like recording these shows on vhs and wearing out that section of tape that i recorded uh, dust to dust on where jakar mm. is is, ha- is having a hallucination but he essentially meets his spiritual father and he just, and the spiritual father just lays it out for Jakar. You have become distracted. This is why you're angry, and this is what you have to do. And you have this moment of pure epiphany that is so powerful that as Jakar is breaking down, I found myself in my office there, just like wiping a tear, thinking that my God, we have seen the rebirth of another person here. And that and and it really is a father son sort of thing. It's not the first, it's not even the second or the fifth time that you see that kind of relationship uh, between these two, between two, two characters like that. Well, you see it with Ivanova and her father. Um, yes, who oh, comes yeah. along. Um, there's no doubt that uh, in many ways, you know, Sheridan's father was a Vorlon. <laughs> um, but, he often qu- but he often quoted his father as well. No, that's right? that that's Star Trek, where everyone who everyone who looks human is actually the offspring of a human and another alien. He, was certainly he, his, he just combed his hair so you couldn't see the bump on his forehead. Well, you could definitely see when we actually meet, the, you know, the real uh, uh, Sheridan's father, Rance, Rance Howard, that um, that uh, he too had his aphorisms, right? And, jo- and John would quote them. And so to have mm-hmm. Kosh take his his appearance in order to say goodbye was this really 
nice fitting connection between those those characters. It even happens in Midnight on the Firing Line when uh, Sinclair and uh, Ivanova are talking about Sinclair's father, and he sort of looks off in the distance. You know that that is you get a nice inversion of that with Doctor Franklin and his father because they didn't get along, no. and, and he comes and and but but of course eventually they sort of make up. And there's our Wrath of Khan connection because that's Paul Winfield. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and but but when you think about it, now the, the spoiler horn has been alerted. Yes, that when mm-hmm. you get to the end of the end of the series where they finally pay off, here's what the entire series has been about. It really is about older generation, younger generation, and the conflicts mm-hmm. that's always going to be between the two, and what the older generation will always represent to that younger generation, and the and the yeah. need that you are not you you really haven't completed your journey until you have in a kind way, told the older, older generation, go to hell. I don't have to do what you're telling me to do. I can now think and act and create the next generation of destiny for the world around me. So I don't have to tell my parents, now get the hell out of my galaxy? Or as... It's nice to send them a card <laughs> on their birthdays and anniversary. It's, yeah. it's our time now! It's, <laughs> uh, uh, and along those lines, uh, the, the, the piece, the, the, the moment in this show that really makes me bawl um, yes, I can admit it. Is um, is it, possibly an unusual one. It's in it's towards the end of the series. Objects at rest. When Sheridan and Delin are leaving Babylon Five for the last time, and this is the last the, regular episode Star. shot because the yeah, final episode yeah. was shot the year before. Mm-hmm, absolutely, but uh, they come about to um, they come about to look at the to take one last look, and you zoom in on the uh, command deck of the station and lined up uh, all in a row are all of these new characters or old characters lifted up in uh, new positions and it is somebody who is a replacement for every single lead character in the <laughs> show from Commander from, from uh, Captain Lockley, Veer replacing Londo, uh, Talon replacing Jakar, uh, you know, all of it, and so, and it's like that's it's exactly what you're talking about. The next generation, the replacements. Here we are. We're moving on. Goodbye. And I and then that Christopher Frank music in the background. And I'm verklempt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, and, and, and also the changing and shifting of perspectives. Like you get to a point where okay, we think we know who the good guys are. We think we know who the bad guys are. And, you know, it turns out the universe isn't black and white. <gasps> um, and, and maybe some of these good guys are kind of acting in their own interests um, that have absolutely nothing to do with, with, you know, right or wrong or good and evil. And sort of when Sheridan comes to that conclusion of like, what's actually happening here, the show really tilts in a very different direction. Yeah, I, yeah. I really um, appreciate it. And I, I, and at the time, I don't know if it still is, but at the time it was controversial that they ended the Shadow-Vorlon conflict so quickly. But, I mean, I thought it was a beautiful thing that the Shadow's goal is not to take over the galaxy. The Shadow's goal is to, I think they said, knock over an anthill, right? The, sh- <laughs> the, sh- the Shadow's goal is to sow chaos and get everybody to fight each other because out of that will come a better, you know, a better society. The strong will rise. And the Vorlons are kind of above the fray, but they're, they're both sort of feel like the, the galaxy is theirs to dictate how it's going to go. And that, and so, you know, yes, the shadows are bad and they need to be defeated, but at the same time, in the end, they, they both need to go. They all need, That's- mom and dad both need to get out of the galaxy. 
And that's one of the that kind of brings me to an episode that I really like, which is uh, Falling Toward Apotheosis, which was the first episode of season four. Um, there's so much that happens in it. And the, the part that I like the best was was actually the Jakar and Londo stuff on Centauri Prime. But I also like the fact that back on Babylon 5, you got Sheridan, Lorian and a piece of Kosh mm-hmm. taking down the new Vorlon ambassador. Uh, I just I really like that the Vorlons don't stay this magical, mystical, good guy, angel folk. They just turn into a-holes like everybody else. <laughs> right. yeah, it turns out that, that they're not all the same, right? They're not all cut from the same mold. And Kosh was actually kind of different than his uh, replacement, who wasn't nearly as nice. That's why they sent him to Babylon 5. They stuck him with that job. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's, I think, that was sort of the point, right? You know, um, <laughs> at the beginning, Londo was like, ah, I, I'm being punished from the royal court. They sent me here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But but weren't they but weren't the Vorlons like presented at that at that moment of reveal that they are they they aren't the good guys and the shadows aren't the bad guys they're just two opposite points of view where yes the the Vorlons excuse me the 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 shadows believe kick over anhales create conflict it's become the the survivors will become better and stronger whereas I think I, I can't remember if this is an act this, I remember this as being an exact line but I could be wrong saying right, the the Vorlons are the ones who sit down eat your vegetables comb your hair wash behind your ears. Uh, and but both of them are doing the same. Both of you are right. Doing, are doing the same thing, saying that this generation is for us to manipulate into. We are we are the shepherds of the universe, and we we are the parents who will make sure that the everything will work out fine by telling everybody else what to do. Whereas they don't. It's sort of like, it's sort of like the opposite of being of of being a child in this universe. The time you you should realize as a parent, your work is done, so you have to move out of the universe. Well, you could you could re, you <laughs> and could, go go on to the next thing. You could argue rim. that the Minbari are in this state of arrested development, right? Because a thousand years before, yeah. as we see when Babylon Four gets sent back in time and Sinclair becomes Valen and they fight the Shadow War, the previous Shadow War, they had spaceships and stuff then and they were shaped a little differently. Those little fishies that they fly around in were a little <laughs> rounder. But um, they they just are still doing the same stuff a thousand years later. And why is that? That's because that's the, 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 the stasis that the galaxy is in because the Shadows and the Vorlons have been playing this game for you know thousands and thousands or millions of years. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I thought that was really great because that is showing you that um, they... You know, yeah, for the for the worlds to advance, for the galaxy to advance, they got to leave. They got to they got to let let everybody. The parents have to let the kids grow up, and uh, that's a what an interesting way to resolve that uh, that story. And it's set up. It's not a made up thing. It is set up all the way through. But it's a really nice payoff. That's very right. surprising. It, it's not good versus evil. It's two styles of parenting. Both who <laughs> feel right. You know, the parent that says, "I'm going to be very strict and make my kid play the piano and you know um, clean up their room," and the other parent goes, "No, yeah. let my kid do whatever they want and you know let, let them go their own way and and they'll eventually learn from their own mistakes, etc. You know, whatever." Um, or it's it, the it, basketball it, coach who yells at their players versus the one right. who who <laughs> becomes a father figure to all of them, and they both have their 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 plan because the shadows' goal is to make everybody better and stronger and more resilient and self-reliant. I mean, they are, they are evil in a way, but they, they don't necessarily have evil an evil plan for the end result. They're not trying to kill everybody. They were, are going to kill lots of people because that's what they're going to do, and that's bad. But in the end, they just want... You know they they want to help uh, evolution along by uh, making everybody fight and and improve themselves in order to survive the fight. They're more chaotic neutral, I would say. But but not <laughs> not to say there weren't evil people on the show, right? Um, Mr. Morden clearly. Um, well, he was possessed, you know, but yeah, well, he delighted you know, in it. He was right, and and let's not you know we haven't talked about one of my favorite characters. Games. 
um, you know, Ensign Chekhov. Um. Oh, Bester. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Bester was so, awesome. so delightful, especially his interactions throughout the series with Garibaldi. Yeah. Um, great character, he, great great showcase for, for Walter Koenig. Yeah, really, he managed to, you know, get out of the Chekhov mold. I didn't know he was going to be able to pull it off the first time, like, he, you know, he guest starred. And it was just perfect. They play, again, character interactions. His interaction with Garibaldi the whole time, kind of up and through the fifth uh, season, um, was just wonderful. He was like, oh, yeah, well, how, how can I, Mr. Garibaldi? <laughs> Garibaldi, so Garibaldi says to Bester, I'm going to, I want to, somebody going to beat you like a pinata. Then Bester says, oh, so you think of me as a, bright festive decorative <laughs> item filled with treats and candy for little children thank you mr garibaldi <laughs> yeah i like the I dynamic too uh the the whole psychor element which is again you know one of these layers of the of the of the world building here that there are telepaths and humans this happened recently it turns out because there's been you know manipulation of humanity by the shadows i believe is how right that was that was the payoff there but um they, they so you get you get the telepath first it's first it's Talia and later it's Lady Alexander who comes back from the pilot and you've got uh you've got Ivanova whose mother was a telepath and the there's this de- deal with the telepaths where they either have to be in the psych or they have to take these terrible drugs that basically make them fade away and then they die and uh and that was a fascinating layer that there's there's di- the dynamic with bester and the psychor and they represent sort of the worst of earth and humanity sometimes except not always because they are <laughs> well-rounded people too and then you've got like the other people who are who have their reasons to be offended by them whether they just aren't telepaths or they have a terrible secret in their family history like ivanova I think that's one of the things that's so great about Babylon 5 is that you people are well-rounded and you get to see the characters and the stories from so many different points of view. I mean, talking about Psychor, you have the Korra's mother, the Korra's father, where you get to see a whole story from Bester's point of view, sort of, or from the point of view of two two adoring lackeys of Bester's who are following him around. And then you have a, a couple episodes looking at the station from the the media point of view or mm-hmm. you know a documentary or the news and then you get a view from the gallery where you have the uh the maintenance workers looking at it. so you have all these different sort of uh, oblique angles that you're staring at these beloved characters from and it just makes them seem more well-rounded and more real and i like that our, our babylon 5 super fans in the chat room by the way point out and i i remember this now i knew i wasn't sure about it it's the vorlons created the telepaths yep. and then the shadows tried to wipe them all out because as it turns out telepaths are bad for shadows and they don't like that so mm-hmm. there you go Thanks, uh, although they're also playing the they're also playing the long game because they're either trying to wipe them out and they did wipe them out with the nards or they try to subvert them which is what they do by infiltrating the psychor right. and it, it's, it's layers and layers and i love that tricky shadows um, there's one other one other thing I wanted to if, if you'll forgive me a Doctor Who reference because I'm contractually <laughs> I obligated. I was waiting for it. Um, <laughs> I think the whole message of this show um, can be you you can borrow a line from uh, a, you can borrow a scene actually from the first season of the rebooted Doctor Who uh, when um, Rose is sitting in the diner with her family and saying. You, you have to make a stand. Sometimes you have to do the right. You have to do what's right, even when it's difficult. That sort of thing. This is a, this is a story about taking agency. Um, whether it's whether it's the human race um, throwing off the shackles of the Vorlons and the shadows and f- making their own destiny, um, or 
or or if it's a personal story, like all of the many, many opportunities Londo has for redemption that he just throws away because he claims he doesn't have a choice. Um, for for me, that's that's the soul of this show, and it's the reason why it stuck with me for so many years. It's a very human story about um, your responsibility, the, the responsibility you have, and the choices that you make. As Londo says in uh, "No Surrender, No Retreat," I've made some poor decisions, <laughs> which is a bit of an understatement. And Shakar rolls his eyes, yeah. like, "Really? <laughs> you think? Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little." Um, but, it, it, but it shows that the, the, in, in terms of central themes, though, it, it's great when you have uh, it's great when you have an entire series that has been created and pretty much one single handedly written by one person. That was where the beginning, the middle, and the end, and every major beat was set up by one person. It wasn't like there he was surprised to get a first season pickup, so now he has to make up what is, what's going to happen in season two. Because now, and when you listen to him do the commentaries on the DVDs, he will tell you exactly what he had in mind for the entire series. And in the commentary for whatever episode I was watching yesterday, he was saying that, no, this is all about three questions. What do you want? Who are you? And why are you here? Every single character has to address each of those questions. That will cause them to either get into trouble or to save themselves. And it depends on which character is is dealing with one question. Where the, the shadows are very much, "What do you want? I will use that. I will use your desires to give you things and manipulate you." You know. And then the Vorlons are, "Who are you?" What, and then the uh, and then the the humans later on settle the question after they kick out the Vorlons and the shadows. The last of the. Uh, uh, of the first ones, they have to figure out. Well, why are we here now? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, there. There is that whole notion. I mean, Mondo's probably the most tragic figure, I, I think, in the whole thing. Who matures the most? Um, he's given, we're told, right? Because um, uh, you know, who was it? Major Barrett shows up to you know tell me he has three chances of redemption, yes, right. and you could, and throughout it, you can just sort of watch. It's like how I met your mother. You know, how many slaps <laughs> is he going to get? How many chances yep. is Londo going to met? Oh, there he goes. Um, well, and Michael and Sarah, mm-hmm. the Klingon from Star Trek, as the techno mage who who says you will, right. you know you know reinforces that you will be emperor, and I see your hand reaching out and thousands of people calling your name. Oh, my subjects know your victory. Victims. Your victims. <laughs> like, wow, dang. But he gets he gets what he wants, and it turns out what he wants is horrible, and he didn't and, want and it. He, and he comes <laughs> and he comes he comes by degrees to accept to understand exactly what he's done. Yes, it's, it's it's not as though he becomes a bad guy. He really figures out that oh, this has come at too high a price, and I've done I've I've done very very evil things. It was like the like a the the first like huge machination that the first political machination he did where. You know, he he knows that the emperor wants truce, wants to bid for to to end all these insane raids that he and his men have been trying to uh, trying to manipulate. And then he Londo is the only one to hear his dying words because just because he's about to make a big announcement to set all this in motion, he just happens to keel over and die. And then he says, "What did he say?" And then he says, "He said, continue, continue my work, bring bring my people to the back to the stars." And then in privacy, one of his henchmen is like, "So what did he really say?" And this hollow expression on Peter uh, Peter Jurisic's face, and the tone in which he says this, brilliance of the character, brilliance of the writer, brilliance of the actor. He just hollow and ashen face said, "He said, we are both damned." <laughs> Man, fade out like, oh man, is it only going to be a week till the next episode? <laughs>
So Babylon 5 was a forerunner when it came to 3D graphics. And today we think about 3D graphics as something that anybody can do. And you know what? You can. You actually can do it. You just have to learn how. Here's a way you can learn about stuff like building 3D models and getting into visual effects or all sorts of other stuff. It's our sponsor. It's lynda.com. At lynda.com, you have access to more than 2,000 high-quality, engaging video courses. They're taught by the experts in Linda's state-of-the-art studios, so the videos look good, they make sense, they're organized well, and they're from the experts. And they're at levels from beginner to advanced, everywhere in between. And there's a free trial that you can get for listening to The Incomparable that'll let you try it out. And then if you like it, there's a low monthly price to get access to the entire library. And you know what? Your free trial covers every single thing in their library. So I mentioned 3D earlier. Among the things that you can learn using lynda.com, Unity, Maya, ZBrush, Mudbox, V-Ray, Cinema 4D. These are all tools in the gaming development, media, or film space. Those are all there. You could be designing the next Babylon 5 special effects by learning it at lynda.com. That's a little too much for you. How about Apple-related stuff? Unix, Objective-C, there's iCloud tutorials, Final Cut, Logic, iWork, iPhoto, GarageBand, Mavericks, Coco, iPad tips and tricks. All of that stuff is there. If you're a Windows kind of person, Windows 8.1 is a new uh, course that they've got at Linda. Uh, Lots of design stuff. All the Adobe Creative Suite stuff is there. And for developers, Java, HTML, jQuery, SQL, WordPress, JavaScript, you name it, they've got courses about it. Photoshop, Excel, photography, videography, songwriting, uh, screenwriting. George Lucas, I'm just mentioning that. Um, Joe Straczynski, maybe you don't need that course. George Lucas, maybe you do. So here's what you need to do to sign up for lynda.com and try this stuff out. You get a free trial. Go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash incomparable. That's all you need to do. You get a free trial, access the entire lynda.com library, all of those courses, every little bit of it, not just a little introductory sample. All of the course material is available for free by visiting lynda.com slash incomparable. So L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash incomparable. That's where you need to go. I think you're going to love it, and you're going to want to learn more and more and more using the great video coursework at lynda.com. And thank you to lynda.com for sponsoring The Incomparable. And there's so many different great uh, great arcs. Uh, and the, the, the Centauri stuff, uh, when they're on Centauri Prime with the crazy nephew of the old emperor and the new emperor, Cartagia. Right, right, right. Such a great arc, right? That little mini arc inside the story of this mad emperor. And you realize that Londo has got it together way more than most of the Centauri do. <laughs> and that for right. him to be a real patriot, he needs to he needs to be so patriotic that he kills the emperor because the emperor is going to lead them to, literally to destruction, right? The shadows yeah. are going to come, or the Vorlons are going to come and blow up their planet because they're the good guy. Right, that's why they blow up whole planets with their planet killing. <laughs> but the genius devices. of this show is it's not; it winds up not being him who kills the emperor. Yes, it totally subverts your expectations. It had, and that, so, and Straczynski has a story about that where he expected it to be Londo, and then he was yeah. writing the he was writing that screenplay, uh, and as he's writing it, uh, he said he said Veer basically said, "No, no, I'm going to do this." It's like, yeah, all right, yeah. Well, well, Veer evolves so powerfully from this 
buffoon, right? You know, who's basically, you know, Londo's, uh, you know, whipping boy. Um, to the guy, to the guy. What's worse than when your family thinks you're a loser? Right. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't send, they don't send you to a loser post. They make you the assistant to the loser, loser, loser post. Right. And then he's the first one who stands up to Morden. There's that great scene. Morden, you know, um, uh. is there something you want me to do? The only thing I'd like to see you is your head on a pike. And then I would wave to you like this. Which happens later. Which is yes. I would like to yeah. live long enough to see your head put up on a yeah. pike as a warning that sometimes things come at too high a price. I would look up until your dry, lifeless eyes and <laughs> smile and wave to you like this. And, <laughs> and then in a later episode, arrange that for me, Mr. Warren? In a later right. episode, we watch. He says, "Is there anything I can I, I can do for you?" And and, and Beard just says, "How about die? Right. Can, can you <laughs> die? Are you yeah, willing to do that?" Yeah. Well, and and also the the backbone he shows even to the, the his boss Talando as he's cowering. Where there's there's some some final execution order for some operation that Londo, that Londo is just sending Veer off to say, and he's begging Londo reconsider. This is a bad mistake. This is a terrible, terrible thing. And then he says, "I well, I have to do this myself." And then Veer, one of the most one of, one of these perfect character moments, says just stiff, stiffly says, "No, I will go. To, I will go do this thing you need me to do." But at some point. I'm going to remind you that I tried to talk you out of this. Mm, yep. <laughs> and then lets that linger as he leaves. Well, the, there's a joke. Backbone. There's a there's a funny joke when when um Major Barrett Rodberry says um says you will be emperor and you will be emperor after the other one is dead and you're like oh what a funny thing and yet when that moment comes when uh when in flash forward we see that veer is going to be the emperor after uh jakar strangles londo that it turns out is a mercy killing um that that uh veer's going to be a good emperor you know, right? I mean, it's not a joke, and and mm-hmm. we we see why he's gotten here, and he has progressed in this incredible way from when we first see him. In fact, Veer was always juxtaposed with Lanier, played by Bill Mooney, another kind of Will, Ro- act- Will Robinson a- actor from right. uh, Anthony Anthony. Right? So <laughs> send him to yeah. the cornfield, and um, you know, I, it, at the time it seemed like well, you know, he's going to be this monk like figure and take care of Delenn, and then Veer is this buffoonish figure. And in the end, Veer gets a much better path, and Lanier sort of doesn't go anywhere. And I would actually argue is the only character who never who who doesn't get redeemed. He his last act is cowardly and awful, and he leaves in disgrace. And that's the last we see of him. Interesting how that happened, and that also subverts expectations. I think of the show, although yeah. not executed quite as cleanly no, as it was, uh, some other stuff. It was poorly done, and I'm not sure was set up and i don't really like that lanier's character got so assassinated at the end but it is interesting in contrast to veer who gets built up into this really dramatically different thing from how we first saw him but i think that's because he never evolved he was the one character who didn't evolve he had a crush on delenn um and he never got over it um that was pretty much clear um and the result Get um, over it. Right. We did <laughs> Snap cool. out of it. <laughs> it was another example of how we have to let go of things from the past. And uh, he's the one that's just hanging on for dear life. And He's, he's hoping Glenn's going to come to her, her senses. Um, the other great relationship was um, Marcus and the Rangers, the whole Ranger. Oh, yes, the Rangers. Um, yes. I'm not shocked. That whole I mean, mythology, that was, yes. Um, <laughs> that, that whole arc. and, and you That know, was a spinoff they, waiting to happen, except yeah, it didn't they, happen. When they brought in Mark, he was just such a great character. Oh, um, so amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. And, and that was a, one of those examples, too. I, I have in my notes, I have like four or five things I haven't mentioned that I wanted to mention. One of them is the Lord of the Rings, which is just Straczynski, totally obsessed with the Lord of the Rings. The Rangers <laughs> are lifted right out there. There's Casa Doom in, in, uh, 
Uh-huh. Which is where Gandalf falls into a bottomless pit and emerges transformed. And here we have Zaha Doom, where Sheridan does the exact same thing. <laughs> Lorien. Uh, the, the, the references to Lord of the Rings throughout this, and it's not a, like a copy of Lord of the Rings, but it is source material for this story. And that's fascinating. And, and if you go back and look at it, especially now that the Lord of the Rings movies were made, so, so people have experienced that maybe more than just reading the book a couple of times. <laughs> I imagine Straczynski read it a thousand times. But this <laughs> Battle of Five is full of Lord of the Rings references, yeah. like bursting with Lord of the Rings. And the Rangers are the best example, I think. Right. But there's so many other things that he throws in that, you know, if you're oh, yeah. acquainted with um, the Ministry of Peace and Pax, Oh, 1984. 1984, absolutely. Um, you know, just these little subtle yeah. things that he would throw some, in now and then. And, and of course, and some, Daffy Duck. <laughs> yeah, and not so subtle things like the we have two entire episodes that are fairly standalone that are devoted to the Arthurian legend. Right. You know, oh, yes. Grail and um, I can't think of the other one. But the other one actually happens to be the very first oh, that, one that I saw. A late delivery, a late delivery from, from Avalon. Avalon. Right. Yeah. It was the very first right. first full episode of Babylon 5, that, or mostly full episode that we watched. And that was that was the one where my, my friends and I turned to each other and said, that was, that was pretty good. You you want to get together early next week and uh, watch? Well, and watch that's, got Michael, that's that Michael York. Michael York, yep. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, I think that was what drew us in. But yeah. the episode held our attention. Jason, I'd like to grab on to what you said about Lord of the Rings real quick and right. throw this on the table. There's one there's one big difference between this and Lord of the Rings, and that is season five. <laughs> Lord of the Rings ends uh, with uh, Aragorn taking the throne, and that's you know that's that's pretty much the end of the story. Well, and the elves season go five. the elves go into the west, I guess. Right, that's yeah. their leaving <laughs> town. <laughs> yeah, Annie Lennox sings. Yes, all forty-seven endings of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, season five is really interesting um, because not, and, and and it's and many people regard it as a lesser season. Um, and and I'll I'll I'll, I'll grant that. But uh, part of the whole five-year plan of this show, even if some parts of it got accelerated into season four, was the building of an empire. And then season five is about what happens when you've got that empire. Right. Right. You're, you, uh, we're we're in charge now. We've gotten rid of the Vorlons. We've uh, eliminated the problem on Earth. Now what do we do? Right. I moved and out I of my parents' a... basement. Now, um, now what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and I and I think that's I, I think that's the most fascinating decision that JMS made. Uh, it, it's the hardest season to write, and it is it is not as successful as a season because the challenge is so much greater here. All of a sudden. The story is about building rather than um, uh, rather than opposing something. It's the it's it's a yeah. it's a year long mm. denouement. And I think and, I think his original and, plan before he accelerated things because he thought that they that they weren't going to get a fifth season and he could smell the the ending and he didn't want to blow it. Um, I I assume that the fifth season normally would have been sort of half the Civil War and then half picking up the pieces at the end. I don't believe it would have been like just the Civil War and that would be the end. I think he was firmly committed to 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 doing some of that stuff because that, that that's just his game plan. Uh, he claimed that he, it was going to run into like the first four or five or six ep- that C- series four would have run into the. F- first four or five or six episodes right. of the fifth season and then like he that. would pick up the pieces so he had some padding to do because now he had he had to find another story arc to hang the whole season on yeah. but um you know i i agree with you chip i it was not it was not my favorite uh there's stuff in there that i actually looking back i really like but i think it's that i think it feels diluted like like not not diluted like diluted that it's it it's was- it's just like you know, an important piece was missing and he put some other stuff in. And, but that is the point. I mean, not to go back to, um, 
another sci-fi reference and, and say, you know, the end of Watchmen, nothing ever ends. But that is sort of the point that he's making here is there's no <laughs> end to the story. It keeps going. And sometimes what happens after the big dramatic moment is just as interesting as ending on the big dramatic moment, which is the, the when the Shadow of Vorlon war is resolved. And it's like, no, now what? It's like, well, we got to go back to Earth now. And, you know, we can't it's not. Yay, it's over. It's not over. It's never over. I thought I, there, there, there's one big thing I really liked, two things I really didn't like, and the rest of it was kind of okay. I liked, I liked, I thought it was brilliant to see that uh, Jakar is now being elevated to essentially the Gandhi of the Nar. Yes. Just like there's, just like there are disciples of Jaquan, and, he, yes. and Jakar is, book of he Jakar. writes this book that becomes a spiritual book, and he, it's out of his own control. And it's just, it's just part of that graduation of you are the younger generation, but now you're going to be the advisors to the younger generation. That's a whole different thing that you have to deal with. But the things that kind of, the two things that, that kind of got me, and they're kind of related. Related, is that Byron? I just never got no, behind. I agree because here, he here. just he was He's like a so perfume. dreamy. Hello. He's like, love my name him. is Byron. I have long flowing hair. I'm named after a romantic poet, and I have an English accent. And I'm here to tell you, you're a wonderful woman, Mrs. It's like, oh, for heaven's sake! That was what ruined the entire. I think I probably could have bought into the whole telepath thing in in series five, but I just never saw any chemistry with Byron yeah. and Lita and that turned me off to the whole thing. I mean, a, a false ringing love story is a very quick way to make me check right out. Yeah, it, it was clear that there was some filler needed. Um, and it was also, you know, after everything that happened, you're kind of on this four-year roller coaster ride and you go, oh, and now it's like, oh, okay. Um, you know, well, look, you know, we're, now we have a government to we deal have to with. set and, up some stationery. <laughs> Do an office. We have to choose a logo, and we all know, we all know how difficult it is to decide on a logo uh, with very just hard. six people. Everybody's got an opinion. It's one of those things that annoyed me about Star Wars, where they ended right, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, we blew up the next Death Star, and like, yeah, okay, everything, yeah, everything's gone. gone. Yeah, yeah, like, no. hey, you know, no, the galaxy's well, but chaos. Everything's finished. Everything, like, everything's fine and good. We can just party. Um, but you have so. to end it. Yeah, well, yeah, you had to, you had to end it, but in other words, they didn't deal with any of the ramifications. They didn't even allude to the ramifications of now we must rebuild. And, well, because you know, that did, was the end they, of the series and they weren't going to do anymore. And the nice thing about TV is you can – I mean Straczynski I think very – he was he was going to leave himself time to tell about what happened after. I think with season five he just ended up leaving himself a little too much time because he, he needed to cram that stuff into season four because they literally – the PTEN, the syndication network package thing was dying. Literally it was <laughs> it was ending and they got saved by cable. It was being sent beyond the rim. Yes, yeah. that's right. Or into the West, depending on if it's Lord of the Rings or not. Um, uh, yeah, I had a couple other things I wanted to mention that are on my list. I wanted to mention the relationship between Sheridan and Delenn because I think it's really interesting. I am not a, uh, I am not. So in fandom, they have these things: the the shippers, people who are very, 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 very invested in certain relationships. Oftentimes, not relationships that actually are in the show. But um, I wanted to say that if I've ever identified with shippers in any form. It is probably the relationship with John Sheridan and Delenn. I, I love that relationship. I love everything about it. I love that it is uh, people getting to know each other. Yes, one of them is kind of Mumbinbari transformed into half human by a cocoon and all that. And she's still got half <laughs> a bone man. in her head. Chrysalis. I know. I know. It's chrysalis. Okay, yeah. And half a bone in her head, but she's got hair. And yeah, okay, that's all great. But um, they get to know each other. 
Um, and, and they work together and they build mutual respect. And it's this sweet romance that plays out over a lot of time and they get married and at the end they have a baby. And isn't that nice? I I really like that relationship. But but it's also, they get to know each other. Yes. Great scene, um, where, you know, they both have to stay, she has to watch over him and he's trying to sleep on that Minbari torture board (laughs) and he keeps falling off and and she's just looking at him like, yeah, I mean, all right, I'm, I'm going to put up with this because, um, and, you know, we see that. It, to me, again, that's, again, you know, Sher- Sheridan's flexibility. He's willing to learn. He's willing to go through this. Um, I think the one point where Sheridan loses it is in the shadow of Zadum when he, you know, encounters Morden and everyone is wailing on him. Like, you can't do this. Like, you, you can't, like, you know, and Garibaldi quits. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not going through this. I mean, you know, you are you are just going way off the deep end. And you know, even Zach's kind of looking at him kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, where was, where was Delenn then? Yeah, um, well, and, then all, eventually and, and then all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, you you don't know what the hell's going on. You got you got to take a step back, calm down. I got to tell you what's going on, and yeah. and she doesn't want to. And he's like, "You better tell me." And, and, and she has, I think, one of the best lines in that episode. Goes, "You know, I'll tell you, but you're never going to sleep again for the rest of your life." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Comes with a little price. Yeah. yeah. But I do, I do love that relationship. That that just—it's one of the rare TV relationships that I felt. I think because of the time they spent building it, and the mm-hmm. fact that it was—it didn't go, have a big back and forth of drama of will they or won't they. It was a—it was a build, and it felt real to me, even if one of them very, had come out of a cocoon. Very, 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 very real because even there, J. Michael Straczynski refused to just lock characters and archetype. Because remember that after after Sheridan dies, Delenn goes a little bit nuts. She, she you, you remember that oh, she, yeah. you, you are you are reminded that she was a very very fierce warrior and that's when she starts piling the right white star and say well, okay we boy we we managed to escape from that from the skin of our teeth now let's turn around and blow them to hell <laughs> <laughs> she is mad and she is not going she's going to take out regression on anybody who looks like an enemy who is in a ship that is within firing range i that is that is not again this is not i hope this is not supposed this is not going to be like a rant against you know against uh, star trek but that's the difference between those two styles where you would never have so well you know we we mustn't turn our anger into hatred and <laughs> da 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 it's like no lock on photons and basically blast them to hell they killed my son screw them yeah they they lost their ability they they lost their right to live when they pissed me off to the degree that they pissed me off and 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 only one man has survived contact with a shadow with with a minbari (laughs) cruiser he's behind he is behind me you You are are in in front front of me me. (laughs) if you value (laughs) your lives your life be somewhere else be somewhere else i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry to have stepped on your line but yeah that was just (laughs) oh man so many beautiful so many beautiful beautiful lines in this whole series and and our our uh, characters get to um, make mistakes and do bad things, and it doesn't make them bad people. They make mistakes and uh, or they do things out of rage or out of uh, mis you know misconception, yeah, and that's yeah. like people like people do. And the evil when we see here's another great thing we mentioned 1984 and the Ministry of Peace and things like that. Straczynski's worldview is fascinating. Evil, true evil, is a bureaucracy. It's banal. The true evil is the guy standing on stage saying, "I'll give you an armband if you." you know, report for the night watch. That's the true evil. Or when we go to Zaha Doom, 
um, and and meet the shadows. Yes, Melissa Gilbert is there, which is a nice little bit of stunt casting because <laughs> she was married to Bruce Boxleitner. But um, also, there's a guy. There's like a gray-haired guy with a mustache who is the most boring guy in the world <laughs> because that's the whole point. Is he? It, it's not like he's not meeting the grand poobah emperor who's some awesome shadow dude. He's like this bore, super boring guy because that's. You know, I, I love that message that that you know evil is not super dramatic and exciting. It's actually kind of boring yeah. and insidious, and and you know it it, it it's banal. It's not but it, but exciting. And if you look it's, at it's the boring and or the uh, the evil um, be or the excitement factor, I mean, if you were to look at this story sort of from the outside, not knowing any of the players, and just kind of a really black and white, maybe sort of a generic fairy tale version, one of the biggest villains in the entire thing would be Londo. But right. when you look at it from the inside of the story, he is he's one of the characters that I at least come to love the most yes. out of all of them. Yeah. I mean, the poor guy's going to have a keeper on his you know, shoulder. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> and this is I, I after his redemption. They shifted our sympathies toward him a little bit, knowing this was not going to end anything the way he thought. No. It. He was going to get everything he wanted. And like, you know, be careful for what you wish for, because you might get it. And so he got everything he wanted. Um but uh, there's definitely a certain point where I think Straczynski tries to soften the tone of that character a little bit. So when we see the tragic fall, we're not going, yeah, he's getting what he deserves. Huh. We kind of feel a little bad for him. Like, it's a guy who just made a lot of bad, bad choices. Well, <laughs> just, that's, that's, just... that's where he, he, doesn't, he doesn't let us off the hook by saying these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. The reason why the bad guys are bad is because they're evil. It's no, because here we'll, we will walk you all the way through the decision, the, the, the process that led to Londo ordering the destruction of the Narn homeworld. Home we will let you... And we will put, we will basically put you in a position where you figure out that he felt as though he was doing the right thing for his people. I mean, it, there, and and this extends in so many different directions where you 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 feel as though like the, one of the most intense moments was when uh, in, in my my watching the show was when Garibaldi d- turns coats and hands over Sheridan to Earth Force Earth Gov. And he's and this is bef- and this is the episode before we find out that he's actually being manipulated. And but he but he, Straczynski has set it up so that he's just a paranoid individual to begin with. He has already established that if he thinks that that a commander has gone off the rails, he will do what he thinks is right to end the situation. And as he's sitting there in that in, in that uh, that that subway car on Mars. As he's just done this, and he's sort of like dealing with the fact that I can't believe I, I'm sorry I had to do that, but I'm sorry now I feel like crap. And I remember sitting in my chair <laughs> in my living room, thinking because he's an alcoholic and he's, he's struggling with uh, his alcoholism. I remember thinking, why don't you go have a drink, Jared Garibaldi? <laughs> because and, and, and amazed that I had that sort of revulsion over what he did. But again, it's not that if if we had just been introduced to this guy who's just sort of a weaselly turncoaty type of guy, and of course he's the person who's going to turn him in because he's a weasel and he's a turncoat, and you feel as though nope, this was unfortunately the end of he he, he was he's been boxed into a situation which the there were two buttons in front of him one of them was turn in Sheridan the other one was struggle against it and he pushed the big red flashing button and and we know and we know that he has his own moral center right because again with the you know Morden stuff you're going to do this I'm, I'm out of here here's here's yeah, my gun right. here's my badge right. so we've already seen that you know 
he is not going to follow the chain of command. Um, he's going to stand up. And I think, you know, in his own mind, he thought he was doing the right thing when he handed him over. And obviously, I think, you know, he learned later on um, maybe uh, he might have been manipulated a little bit. <laughs> Compare that episode bit. stylistically, by the way, to the to the first season of the pilot. That episode where, where uh, Garibaldi sells out Sheridan uh, has so many different stylistic flourishes. The the Mars yeah. subway tube ride shows that they were the really narration. They're, they're, yeah, and they've got Mars, the, they've got the. CG, what am I doing back on Mars? Right, they've got the CGI <laughs> working right, and they've got the compositing right, so it, it feels much more like you're actually there. And then the scene where Sheridan is taken is a real. Um, and I do believe Star Trek started stealing the Babylon Five directors. I mean, they found some really good directors. Such it's 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 strobe light. They had a still photographer on the set, and they took stills of the action and intercut the stills with the live action. And it is it is. I mean. Uh, it's really good. It is not necessarily, I'm not going to say it's one of the best things ever, but it, they were trying interesting style things, which, you know, I in season they one, they're hard. like trying to get a show out. <laughs> yeah, that was not my favorite part of it. I really thought that that was just a little too artsy for the show. It was, pr- it, it might have been. Too, too hard. But think how far they came from like, I mean, in season but one, yes, they're struggling yes. to get like the sets vertical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was it was done very well. I just I just didn't like what it did. Yeah, I I, I, I get the sense right that somebody that was way. like, "Hey, I've got an idea. Let's do this and get a still photographer in here, and we'll see how it goes." And it is jarring too, on top of everything else. But uh, I lo- I love that they tried stuff like that because it had been they had come so far from from. That's, that's another thing about this show is how how much they got out of so little. They didn't always have the best actors. The scripts weren't always the best. I think uh, you you get to the point uh, somewhere towards um, season four and season five where Straczynski's fatigue is starting to show. Absolutely, and and the line and the he's he's going for the first right answer instead of the second more creative right answer in terms of ways of talking. But uh, there's there's some kind of weird alchemy when Jeff Conaway, who is not a tremendous actor can be an effective character um and and has has some great moments there um uh Claudia Christian um is uh it, it, it just sort of comes out of nowhere from being the uh the stripper in Hexed to <laughs> right. being uh to being uh, a really formidable uh military presence you know um they had no money they had no consistent schedule all they had was the sheer will to get the ep- to to get the show made, and um, and an army of fans online that we have. You know, this isn't the the incomparable re- remit, as I understand it, is the show itself, not sure. the stuff behind it. But but you can't talk about Babylon Five without talking about Rec Arts SFTV Babylon Five moderated dot, moderated <laughs> no story ideas <laughs> and 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 uh, and all and the. The the fandom relationship. It's the first you know, first show to have a a, a direct uh, back and forth with uh, the creator and the fans on the internet. Yeah. Ask me exactly. a question, I'll give you an answer, and um, you know sometimes I won't because it'll spoil the show. But I'll try and explain to you what I was thinking. And amazing, it, right? I mean, and he managed to make the best. And I think like, Zach's character is a good example because um, you know we're dealing with Bobby from Taxi. Uh, you know, Kaniki. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kaniki, right. man. Yeah, I mean, I mean, come on, um, but. He, 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 all right, this is who I got to work with. I'm, I'm going to 
I'm not going to try and make him like, you know, uh, a super soldier. I'm going to let him play, you know, the roles that he knows how to play and make Zach that type of character. But then there's that moment where he takes off the armband, you know, and all of a sudden like, oh, you know. Zach's not just the guy who's taken 50 credits from the, you know, a week from the Night Watch. Um, he's, uh, he, he also has got a little bit of backbone. He also evolved. Um, and the fact that he wasn't afraid to kill off characters either. Um, you know, um, that, you know, people who had been around suddenly, oh, look, I, there's a shadow ship. I better tell someone about it. And like, <laughs> not seeing you anymore. <laughs> he, he is an ex-Keffer now. Goodbye, yes. pretty boy. <laughs> so long. That was a character who's bored to die. You'll be on for a season. What happens at the end? Well... First Shadows. line, you're just, just you're put dead. On this red shirt under yeah. your uniform, <laughs> killed by shadows. Uh, not not a not a good way to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the budget. I mean, this was this was a show with not much budget, and they got a lot out of it. And and people will look back on it now and say, well, it looks cheap. And it's like, yeah, I, yeah, it does sort of look cheap. But let me tell you, they they made this thing on a shoestring. They made this in a converted. This is where I'm going to do my um, little glutting um, bit here, which is they made this in <laughs> a converted enough. orange uh, orange drink factory in Sun Valley in the in the San Fernando Valley. Um, off of Sun Valley Boulevard. I went there uh, when I worked at Mac User. That's how long ago it was. It was 1997. And um, and next door there was a uh, some other kind of some other kind of uh, food uh, you know service thing and they had converted one of them into the prop shop and the other one was the was the studio the studio was again this old factory warehouse place out in the valley and yeah it was not plush at all it was they were they were out where where um my understanding they were out where the porn gets made right they were not they were not in hollywood proper they were out in the valley and Yet, you know, they you walk inside and you're on Babylon 5 and there's that forced perspective uh, hallway where you see the curve of the station and the Zocalo. <laughs> and, you know, it's all wood and, you know, spray painted and it's just good enough to <laughs> to get by on, was, TV, on on the tiny TVs of, of 1995. Um, and, I, was watching and, the, I was listening to the commentary on one, of the, on one of these episodes that we agreed to watch and Jay Michael points out that essentially three different scenes were redresses of the scene of of the set the, of of Sheridan's uh, office set yeah and that's just you know yeah it, it was it was not that big a a set there were there were three or four different locations i think set up when when i was there and like literally around the corner was Straczynski's office. You could literally go around the corner and he was in there working on... Uh, and, and in fact, I didn't get to talk to him because he was directing that episode because I was there when they were shooting the finale the year before they aired it. Um, and I got to watch walk past uh, Bruce Boxleitner dressed in his sort of Mimbari outfit. And, and my m- entire memory of him was he was like, come on, guys. He was like impatient. He was waiting for them to shoot the scene <laughs> and Joe was somewhere else and all that. And so we couldn't talk to him. Uh, but it was pretty cool. There, you know, there were a bunch of Mimbari extras out back uh, smoking cigarettes in the back parking lot waiting for their call. Uh, it was it was it was a trip. And I still have um, I still have a couple of stickers that were um, they would print out on, you know, on inkjet printers. The props department would pr- print out the stuff on stickers and cut them out and uh, stick them to the walls. And that was like the you know, that was sec decoration were these stickers. And I have a couple of <laughs> of them of them still, which is uh yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty cool to see that, and and I, I do have a picture of me uh, at twenty six years old with a clipboard and, and standing in an elevator 
uh, at the elevator doors on on Babylon Five. So that was pretty cool. I have to say. <laughs> That's some- that is some good glenning. Well that, done. That is, uh, yeah, so thank <laughs> well you. Done. Thank you. And I actually had a couple uh, episodes, te- uh, temp ep- versions of episodes sent to me by one of the editors because we did meet the editors who were doing um, all that After Effects work and stuff like that, which is just crazy stuff. And uh, saw saw Tony Dow from Leave it to Beaver who directed some of those episodes. He <laughs> yeah, was in he the directed ed- some great ones. He was in the edit bay doing doing some work. There's still, there's a continuity error that I can spot every time I watch a certain episode of the fourth season because uh, they were, they, uh, they had a, uh, they they didn't have the shots match up right, so they flipped uh, the scene. So Jakar walks in from the other direction, and but Delan is wearing this shirt that is asymmetrical. And every time I watch it, I'm like, that's flipped because <laughs> suddenly it's going to her left shoulder. Now it's back to her right shoulder, and you never don't, notice do, it watching it, but I notice it every time now because I was not tell me what episode I, that is. I don't want to know. I was there when they flipped it. It was pretty crazy. So that was that was uh, that was cool. Somebody mentioned in the chat room. Um, HD version. There was a rumor that they might oh. eventually do an HD version, and then I heard a rumor that said that it was impossible. And I, I can say something about that, which is they shot this on film and they shot it in widescreen, so they could release a Blu-ray version of or or an HD downloadable version of Babylon Five. What they need to do is scan in the original film, which they probably have. The problem is, as with most of this stuff from this period, they would have to remake the special effects because the special effects were done four by three, and they were done in standard def. So if 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 they ever wanted to remake Babylon Five and sell it in HD, they would either scan in all the HD film and have the special effects look atrocious, and that isn't just <laughs> the space scenes, but it's any scene where somebody's dubbed on a screen or it anything. Looks bad. Enough as it is on DVD, right? Because on DVD, yeah. what they did is they cut it off. They they have the sixteen by nine, and then they cut off and blew up the effects. So if they had to do it, they would essentially have to rebuild those things, like they've done with Star Trek: The Next Generation. It might happen. I'm skeptical that there's enough of a uh, uh, that that Warner Brothers is going to think there's enough money there, but you never know. But they could do it. You know, they did a bunch of special TV movie episodes of Babylon 5, and one of them was called Third Space, in which there's a uh, like a jump gate that goes to a strange other dimension that's kind of like H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Cthulhu dimension. It's really bad. And uh, I mention that because Third Space is not the sponsor of this episode. Instead, it's a much better space, a space without murderous Cthulhu-like monsters in it. It's Squarespace. That's right. We are sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to make professional websites or online portfolios. They are always improving their platform with new features. They have super easy site building tools, over 20 highly customizable templates for you to choose from. Those work on big PC monitors, and they will also look great with their corresponding mobile templates on smartphones and tablets. They've won numerous design awards. They've won numerous customer support awards. They have more than 70 employees on their customer care team. It's based in New York City. They call themselves the Care Bear Lair. If you can't remember, the Care Bear was a uh, a villainous alien in a first season episode of Babylon 5. I don't really want to get into it. It scarred me to this day. So you're saying to yourself, how much for award-winning design, award-winning customer support, Squarespace must cost a fortune. And it doesn't. It doesn't. It really doesn't. It starts at $8 a month. And if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name on top of it for $8 a month. And you can start a trial. You don't need to put in a credit card. It is a true free trial. And you can try it out. You can try all these features and start building your website today. Then when you finish your free trial, you're convinced that Squarespace is absolutely the right place for you to build your website. You sign up with offer code SNELL. They know that we sent you, and you get 10% off your order. 
and you get to show support for The Incomparable. Offer code SNELL, S-N-E-L-L. It's my last name. You should know that by now. For Pete's sake, who are you? Don't you know that my name is Jason Snell? Now you do. Use S-N-E-L-L as your code, and you get 10% off of Squarespace. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. Try it out. Free trial. No credit card necessary. You're going to like it, and then you're going to put in code SNELL and save money. So thank you so much to Squarespace for sponsoring not only every podcast known to man, but finally for sponsoring The Incomparable. We appreciate it. There's also a lot of work that has to be done to clean up the film. Uh, you almost need the Doctor Who restoration team on it because the it's film... It's dirty. De- it's very dirty. The film yeah. had deterior- deteriorated a fair bit uh, before they decided to make the um, DVDs, and yeah, it's you can just see, not great. Yeah, you can see the... the 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 dust on it even now but they could do it so if they wanted to if they wanted to put the money in they could do it and the fact is with uh special effects technology as cheap it is as it is now it would be a lot i mean the fact that there's a very small team at cbs digital that's doing season by season of star trek the next generation um you know somebody could do it they would just need to put you know put in the money and do the calculation to see if they'd get their money back i think of in the long term yeah. having uh it's like having black and white when everybody's got color in the end you're not going to be able to sell it anywhere if you don't have an hd version of it the 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 other advantage that the star trek people have is that they it was they were doing model shots that were really expensive to do so really all they have to do is render that one stock shot of yep. the of the enterprise gliding through every single effect shot of, of it, they have to re choreograph everything because none of those files are going to be any good yeah in fact they but, lost the files they they that's one yeah. of the funny stories is when they did the uh uh D- direct to dvd sequel they used fans models of the spaceships <laughs> because warner brothers uh lost the uh, files lost yeah. the, all the models on a card which would be no good now anyway for a, an hd level kind of right. i think yeah. we're just going to see things as uh, as they are i don't think it's going to go anywhere yeah. um, it, it's okay fine. but it it it, it but the thing that bothers me about that is you don't see Babylon 5 on um on cable anymore because in part because the source material is just not up to modern HD yeah. standards. Um I want more people to watch Babylon 5. It is a mm-hmm. it, it is a seminal show. It is It is it, it it is it is so important to the to the legacy of the arc driven stories that we get on, on television today. All the twi- all the two thousands, all those two thousands arc based sci fi shows. This is where it all started. This is yeah. You yeah. Know, Buffy. Buffy was just starting when Babylon Five was in its fourth season. I mean, and, and you start all into the two thousands. That's when you started to see. This stuff that really and, and even Star Trek was influenced the latter years of Deep Space Nine with those those Dominion War arcs. I mean, that would not have happened without Babylon Five. I'm sorry, it would not have happened. Absolutely. Uh, Moises Chuyan, by the a, way, our our, our okay. friend of the friend of the podcast, Moises says that um, that what he's heard through his very good Hollywood connections is that uh, Warner Brothers does have the right film elements to remaster it, and the gross transfers that we see on DVD are not representative of the film. That they could actually do a pretty good job, uh, you know, but they would have to put the money in, and that's always the question. So if Warner Brothers wants to do it, and uh, you know they're remastering Batman right now, the Adam West <laughs> Batman first, but but then maybe they'll so get to it. Just- we just need to get more people watching Babylon 5 and excited about well, it. Chip, our podcast has a goal. Yes, exactly yes, right. Yes, it does. And, and, and honestly, if you're, if you're a TV, you know, you're a TV studio, you're a movie studio, you've got this stuff that's, that, that can be HD and it's not yet. At some point, it makes sense to, 
to convert that stuff because it won't be sellable in any way in standard def. But you've got a film master right there. So put in the money and figure that over 20 years you're going to get your money back with a profit. And hopefully they'll do that with this. So so um, I've got one more point but but uh, that I wanted to drop before we talk about your podcast briefly because I do want to promote <laughs> your podcast. Um, and it's something – it's one of these things – Joe Straczynski has proven to be um, – to have some very interesting timing about some of his his um, his uh, uh, his work and how art imitates life and life imitates art. Um, I think most interesting is that he and Chris Carter of the X Files were working on a a series that uh, didn't come to be because it had it was called uh, I think the World on Fire and it was basically about a uh, a, a terrorist style incident that caused uh, 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 dramatic uh, changes in how. Uh, countries on on earth reacted to things and then 9-11 happened and they couldn't do that show anymore uh because it was basically it it happened and i wanted to mention 9-11 because i think actually um a lot of what straczynski saying about human nature and the nature of um people and governments and how we react to to threats and how we the the greatest risk to societies is when they're put under some pressure and you have to see those decisions that they make. And some of the stuff that's in Babylon 5 is way more weighty post 9-11 than it was pre 9-11. And the two examples I wanted to give were one we've talked about, which is the torture of Sheridan, which Mm -hmm. has a lot more resonance now since we know what waterboarding is and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the one that really gets me is when Delenn tells the story of how the Earth Mimbari War started, which we then see in, in the beginning, which is their leader gets killed and she says, we all went mad and we and that's why we started the war. And it was against all of our principles, but we were we were so incensed by this single act that it drove us crazy and we did lots of things that I regret now. And I got to say, I think about I think about that when I think about what uh, happened after 9-11 and some of the extreme reactions and some of the wars that got started. That, I think another another example know? is uh, is Cycork sort of coming out of the Dilgar War. Um, you know, we've we've got not necessarily that I'm not saying that the Department of Homeland Security is as bad as Psycorp, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, it's it's another entire not just the of NSA. Mini, no, there's right. but there's mini, a lot of that. Packs. If you're not with us, you're against us. Um, that's out there. Even Morden's interrogation, you know, where he says you're dead as far as everyone knows. No one knows where you are. No one's ever going to see you again. Maybe you want to tell me something. Um, You know, so uh, he definitely explored a lot of those things. He explored patriotism quite a bit um, in the show. As one of the themes, Sheridan is a patriot, you know, um, particularly in um, No Surrender, No no Retreat. Um, You know, he's he's torn. I I, I don't want to fire on these guys. My buddies. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to you know, stand down or be destroyed. And the, sometimes the, the government ex- will give you illegal orders and, and a good soldier has to know that you can't follow illegal orders. Right. I mean, and it's not like this is rocket science. He's looking back at the history of of, of humanity and, and even of the 20th century and saying this stuff happened before and it can happen again. Um, not to get all Battlestar Galactica on you. But his but right? his <laughs> yeah, but his but his look when um, the ship blows up and the uh, White Star goes, you know, crashes into it, he's going, get to the light bulb. Get some lifeboats. Oh yeah, uh, and these yeah. you know these guys were trying to kill him ten seconds earlier, and he's going get some lifeboats. And when the thing blows up, that look on his face, like, why did you make me do that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to do that, but I had to do that because that's what patriotism calls for. And Garibaldi, you know, taking the exact thing, I can't handle being around you um, because you're just taking things into your own hands, and we have procedures to do this. 
Um, and you know, we see it with with Delenn, um, Londo and, and her Londo. Yeah. Um, he, you know, all, all the all the way through the series, he, he he his defense is that I I am a patriot. I must do what has to be done. And when even when he has to turn, he he too has to turn against his own government when he realizes that oh my god, my the emperor is insane. We have to get rid of him. He's trying to now. He has to create a new coalition, and he says to Veer that I need a I need a patriot. I also need a friend. You are both. And that's mm-hmm. the that's the seeds of finally getting rid of that emperor. Every, everyone believes that everyone believes they're doing what they're doing for the greater good of their community, of community of which they have incredible amount of pride. They would lay down their own lives for, and sometimes that turns into zealotry very very easily. Everyone thinks their morality is one hundred percent correct, and that whole flip from the beginning, where um, you know the Centauri are sort of these downtrodden, um, you know, Fools, yeah. buffoons, and then by the time we get to um, you know, you know, in the second episode we talked about, everything is turned. Um, you know, all of a sudden the Narn are on the run. Well, hey, a minute, we, what happened to these yeah. folks? <laughs> Um, and then the Rangers' loyalty, their whole, you know, we, we live for the one, we die for the one. Um, again, you know, patriotism, um, we're here to serve, we're not here to ask questions. Um, whatever the crazy mission is, that's what we're here to do. How about the, the character arcs for characters like Narun, um, who is a patriot and uh, comes around to who he's to who he's going to serve in the end? You know, who do you serve is a big question here. Um, and and uh, again there's there's so much in this show about uh personal about personal responsibility um that's one of the reasons i love it so much well even president clark um you know is is it's ah, yes. an evil character as he is you know who you know, took over um also a banal just, banal evil right he's just right? kind of a fat white bald guy he was just <laughs> ca- just carrying on the legacy right in um basically Going back to midnight on the firing line, you know, where the whole presidential election is kind oh, yeah. of going on in the background, and it's all about President Santiago, you know, pledging that Earth isn't going to be, you know, um, patrolling the police wars when we're going to get back, and it's sort of like, you know, background fodder. And I think Clark just said, you know, these guys ain't doing enough. We're, yeah. we're staying out of this. We don't want to get involved, and that's what's best for Earth right now. We, we've course. already we've fought enough wars. And in, in the last episode of the first season, there is a you know Kennedy assassination assassination level thing right down to the earth force one shot that is (laughs) like everybody is posed like the uh, the johnson uh swearing in pose on air force one after the kennedy assassination (laughs) wow amazing Um, well everything there was i always thought that episode again tried to be a little overly dramatic um it's like yeah oh if only we could reach them in time and warn them and um oh i figured out who the traitor is before he shoots me in the back and oh if only i hadn't gone in the cocoon but, <laughs> but still, but still, that is a really that that it was like, oh, it's all coming. I can't believe it's a cliffhanger, and then it wasn't on again for like a billion years after that. <laughs> it was literally a billion. They kept showing they reran the same five episodes for like a year, and then they're like, oh, finally, there's new episodes. I could probably recite the episode Hunter oh Prey by right, yeah. memory. <laughs> but you know what else I loved is um, how the narrative of the show changed every season. Um, you know, our last best hope for peace, our last best hope for victory. Yes. Um, I was going to mention and that, that they changed, and everything in between. They changed, they changed the changed opening the, credits every year. Every year. And kept and moving the else. ball around. Yes. It was a yes. season of hope. 
A season of <laughs> That's right. A season when we took back what was ours. Well, I, I actually, the one that kills me is the after two years of the Blonde Project was our last best hope for peace. In season three, we got it, it failed. failed. And it a, failed. one star fury <laughs> shoots on another. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What just, what is that? And of course, that hadn't, that's also prefiguring the civil war that hadn't happened yet and just there's some really uh, really nice nice things there. you're just waiting for that shoe to drop yeah. well, and also and also filling in the backstory you first start watching you know babylon 5 what does that even mean um yeah it's just a code name or something no it turns out there were other four yeah they didn't <laughs> last very long I, I also love that <laughs> that I one also, burned down fell over then sank into the swamp I, but the fifth station stayed open and i also love that the narration <laughs> is always in the past tense someone is telling us the story this is you know the story of the last of the Babylon right. stations. It's set from the future, always. It's right. like we know what always happens. right. You know, let me, let me tell. You, I got a great story to tell you, kids. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, isn't isn't it great the way that he would always play against our expectations? Where we've seen the video, it's been like a recurring thing. Oh, well, here is what the Babylon Five station looks like when it's being exploded in the middle of space, and we know that that's like going to be the buildup. That's how Babylon Five ends, and we're thinking, oh, well, there's a great war, or they have to like initiate the self destruct sequence. It's like. No, it had lived its outlived its purpose, and sometime in the future, it was detonated purposefully as yes. a hazard to navigation yes, by Joe Strasinski. Demolition, like like the dune, like the dunes result in Las Vegas. They just didn't want to oh. Even when he showed his hand of what was going to happen, it didn't ruin the story because you didn't know how yeah. they got there, and you yeah. didn't know what events were going to lead them there, and what those events really meant. So, on one hand, you're sort of like, yeah, he's he's doing spoilers in the middle, and it takes. A really good writer to pull that <laughs> off to yeah. spoil something right in the middle of the arc um, and give everything away and still have you feeling okay, okay, I know it happens, but how did that happen? Like, who, well, they kind of uh, spoil a Delenn's transformation in the opening credits of, of season two. Like you see her picture with hair, right. and you're like, what? Um, okay, I guess I know what she's going to look like when she comes out of the chrysalis. They actually didn't do that on the original airing. Oh, didn't they? Oh, see, this is the kind of thing I wouldn't have known. And. In the original airing, they kept her, but I was too busy going, what the hell is the guy from Scarecrow? I know, Scarecrow. Captain Scarecrow. <laughs> Wait a second. Now I'm, now I'm mad at them for putting On the DVD, DVD, yeah. They, like, took annoying. a single one no, and just ran um, every time. Yeah, they, 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 they were sort of uh, – they actually played up that, um, you know, her coming out of the cocoon pretty well. Um, and, oh, I always thought that she just got tired of being in the makeup. And she went to him going, look, you want me on the show? I got to look like a normal person. <laughs> the story is, is that the reason that she looks so different in the, in the, uh, in the pilot movie is that what they were going to do was process her voice the entire first season and say that Delenn was male. And when Delenn comes out of the cocoon in season two, it was, Delenn was going to have transformed not only into part human, but into female. And that was going to be like, whoa, you blew my mind. And then they did the test with Mira Furlan's voice and it sounded really bad and fake. And they're like, ah, for get it but but that's why her makeup looks much more androgynous in the in the wow. uh in the pilot movie whereas in the first season they just had to be she's female but she's you know she's not all kind of uh big chinned and stuff like they had they had done in the uh-huh. yeah it's cra- crazy that would have been a real mind blower but they just couldn't get the voice to work right and they decided they didn't want her to um you know be unintelligibly modified voice that for a whole year and now you know why she just hoisted Garibaldi up like a sack That's of right. potatoes over her shoulders in that pilot yeah. movie. Yeah, we were supposed to. Ah. Yeah, that was supposed to be a, a male character who turns female in the cocoon. But, you know, yeah. instead she, she just grew hair and had less of a bone. You know, but still, you know, big I re- changes. I really, I, I really wonder how I would have reacted to that if that had, if that had, if they had actually pulled that off. I don't know if that would have been a little bit too much for me. I, I don't uh, clearly. J. Michael Straczynski would have 
certainly he would certainly have done it now let's 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 take a, a moment to accept that that uh, uh, this man has transitioned into female and let's take that seriously and not pretend we, we won't we won't deal with this the same way that star trek dealt with the fact that hey weren't we all like weasels and and frogs and and ferrets like for an entire episode that one time up <laughs> oh, who cares so it's 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 interesting it's interesting to think of how many episodes it would have taken for me to yeah to for for for, for me to integrate that that would have been a, such an interesting twist yeah, I think he probably realized. You know what? I I got too much going on. I don't even. Yeah, that's, know if I can that's, pull that's that what I'm off. thinking. Yeah. I mean, and, and he and, and he was smart enough to know that it was time to uh, to back that down. Um, that, that that transitioning from uh, from uh, uh, from Mimbari to human would not have been a big enough thing. It also has to be trans. Transmuting from uh, male Membari to female human, it's it's it seems it seems like too too much gloss, too much too much frill. I suspect that listening to the voice treatments made him rethink whether he wanted to go that far, and that it wasn't just that. But that's the, that that's important? the story, right. and that's why the makeup was built that way. Anyway, um, yeah. I, we are we are running. Uh, uh, very long, although you know we're we got we're running out of internet. A five year show, guys. We gotta, you know, we gotta. It's double sized and uh, and uh, of uh, you know you get you're getting your money's worth this week. Um, I wanted to mention before we go, and maybe we can go around if everybody has a, an episode they want to mention as a particular favorite. We could do that before we go really quickly. I an episode we haven't mentioned that is perhaps my favorite, if not, it's one of my favorite Babylon Five episodes, and it's not an arc driven episode at all. It's called Confessions and Lamentations, and it's about a. Uh, a fatal disease that strikes a population of aliens and there's a panic on the ship. And it's just a beautifully uh, sad, dark story about um, this uh, horrible, the spread of this horrible disease. There are some AIDS parallels in there that are, um, are very um, hard to watch and uh, touching and, and beautiful. And Delenn goes inside where the, uh, where the Markab are, um, are dying and takes care of them. They 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 they're going to lock them away, and she goes with with them, and it's beautiful. And that's that's maybe my favorite episode, even though it has nothing to do with an arc. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful episode, and yeah. it doesn't. Uh, again, we blew the spoiler horn. They all die. No, they don't save the day. They all die. It's terrible. And and also, th- this was a major alien <laughs> race that had been seen in every episode before yeah. then. It wasn't like they made up this race. They had to set fire to like a hundred masks and, yeah. and, and wardrobes because it confused yeah. the game. Yeah, maybe a few of them survived. Anybody else want to mention a favorite episode before we uh, before we wrap it up? I. I will. Um, I'm going to go for one that's. I mean, it's maybe it's an easy pick, but the deconstruction of falling stars is just kind of an amazing episode of television. I found that it was the sort of most magnificent and satisfying wrap up I've ever seen of a story. I think on television, maybe the only thing that comes close would be like the last fifteen minutes of the last episode of Six Feet Under, which honestly isn't one of my favorite shows, but I really enjoyed the way that they they closed up that show. And this was it, it gave an epilogue, but it still had me sort of coming out smiling and maybe well, weeping just and, a little and the bit. story there is that they shot the final episode of season four thinking it would be the last episode of the show and when they got picked up they moved that to the last episode of season five and they had to shoot a new season finale for season four as part of the block of season five so it's this you know season four aired so late <laughs> that they were able to shoot a season <laughs> five episode and insert it at the end of season four but how do you do that if you don't want to continue the story arc and so he created this episode that flashes like way forward 
forward and then farther forward yeah. and then farther forward. And if you would have like explained that to me and said, this next episode is going to be jumping this far in the future and telling what happens and then and then the next and the next, I would have said, that is going to suck. I do not want to watch it. It was a very <laughs> satisfying episode. Yeah, He managed to and, pull it off. It was, and it shows the it humans was, becoming Vorlons and doing right. What we said is the most important thing is leaving. Moving yes, on. at the end. Yep. They're like, we're going to leave. Mm-hmm. We're going to be smart enough. We learned that when it's our time to go, we're going to turn off the lights, blow up the sun, <laughs> and leave. <laughs> and, and he so deftly used the characters that we have come to know and love in these futuristic uh, ways that I, I didn't get mad like I think I might have if the, uh, if the writer had had a less deft touch at using these characters in slightly different ways. All right. Other picks? Um, I've um, got a, a few. Um, I was just going to say, um, first of all, just for continuity purposes and the way he handled time travel, um, you know, Babylon Squared followed by War Without End and seeing it from the other side. Um, yes. That's really hard to do. It's hard to do time travel. No one, no one really gets it right. Even he doesn't quite get it. But I think he pulled it off better than anyone could. And it also answered. I love the shows that answer questions because Babylon Squared asked so many questions. Um <laughs> And then there's just a couple of scenes uh, that I loved. Um, the last scene of And the Rock Cried Out uh, in a Hiding Place, beautiful. where they're juxtaposing yeah. the gospel choir. Um, and he wrote that song, apparently. That's not <laughs> J. Michael Straczynski wrote it. <laughs> um, and this, that, that juxtaposing between you know him running and, and, and them singing was awesome. And, I mean, Zadum's sort of a little bit weird, but had that one moment um, where the whole world's falling around him, right? He, he's, he's basically dead. And he hears this voice jump. He's got like three seconds, you know, to make a decision. And he goes, all right, you know what? <laughs> if I jump, it's going to buy me another 10 seconds, and then I'll figure out what to do after that 10 seconds. And then I'll figure out what to do after that 10 seconds. Um, and the look on his face um, when he does it, I thought it was like, you know, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen to him. But um, I, I kind of like that attitude that says, yeah, he's a man of action. I'm not going to stand still. I still have, you know, 10 seconds. I'm going to make the most of those 10 seconds to see what happens. Also, that, that is an old spiritual. That's, uh, that's not a, yeah. not a oh, original. That's an old spiritual. But what a great juxtaposition. And oh, I, I, okay. can, I can sing that song and I can see, was it Rifa getting beaten to death? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was, it, it, and it was, it was an echo to one of J. Michael Straczynski's favorite movies, uh, uh, Cabaret, where it just echoes the joyous singing and the, you know, people singing, and meanwhile, someone's being beaten to death, to death, back and forth, preceded by Jakar, just, just like matter of factly telling the rest of the Narn, like while while Rifa's there, make sure this crystal is in his pocket. Also, don't tear him apart above the neck because he needs identified. to be identified. Yeah. Narn Bat Squad. <laughs> yeah, but hey, if you want to try to run, go ahead. <laughs> And Rifa totally deserves what is coming to him, and you 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 feel good about it, and then you feel bad about feeling good yeah. about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I'd like to I'd like to pull out an unusual one. Um, I've been watching this with my son, who's just turned twelve. Uh, I, I was like, son, this is everything you need to know about modern science fiction literature. Here is Babylon Five. Watch it with me. And he has he, he's enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, the maddest he got was in watching the Illusion of Truth, which is the second so, sort of media story where the um, where the uh, uh, state run media comes to do a story about Babylon Five um, and. Um, and manipulates the story, manipulates the truth. And Will, my son, was watching it, 
and getting madder and madder. That didn't happen. Wait, wait. That's the, he said that, but that's not what he meant. Wait, wait. That he wasn't even there when they said that. It was the best media education I could have given my son ever. And I'm just, I, I just I just love that episode. It's it's subversive. Maybe not to some of us who are a little older who are who are used to that used to being cynical about the media and all that stuff. But um, it's just one of those clever, inventive stories that uh, really struck a chord with my son and made him just a little more savvy about the way the world works. So I love yeah. that episode. I, I have to say Day of the Dead hmm. because not only was it a great episode written by Neil Gaiman, also featuring Penn & Teller, incorporating a brilliant and wonderful way to accommodate the idea that Teller may not want to speak on camera in keeping with the stage persona. So it's not only is it a genuinely great episode in and of itself, but also it's it's sometimes there are these movies and TV shows where the way that you relate to it changes as your uh, as as your as you get a little bit older. Because when it first aired, I was in my late twenties. And the and it's an episode in which for 24 hours it's the Day of the Dead and people on Babylon Five key characters people who are people they people significant in their lives who had died basically come back and visit them of during the during this day and in my late 20s that was before friends of mine and family friends of mine and family members of mine had started dying on me and so that had an extra resonance. As I'm looking at this very, very, in, in many, most cases, very painful situations where you're dead, and I know you're dead. You cannot possibly be here, but I'm glad that I get an extra day to talk to you, even though I don't know if this is real or not. And then the pain that they feel when this specter that may or may not have been a figment of their imagination goes away and just reminds them of, you know, it's, it's interesting when you get to revisit that from a different perspective. And it's, and it's a great it's a great standalone episode in and of itself. Yeah. Despite being a season five yes, episode. Well, Neil Gaiman just parachuted in, wrote an episode, broke the streak of all the Straczynski episodes. And <laughs> I was going to mention uh, the other dark episode that I like is Survivors by David <laughs> Ger- Gerald, which is a first season episode, I think. And that's also horrible things involving um, people killing children. Yeah. That was the one episode I skipped sharing with my son. <laughs> which wait, which one is that's, this? That's the one where the the, the it's a, it's kind of a Christian scientist kind of thing. It's the aliens who believe oh. you can't operate on a uh, or is did I believers? believers yes, Sorry, believers. that's the one. Believers, yeah, yeah. believers by David yeah. Gerald because. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they open him up, and then the the parents believe that he has no soul. But he would have died if they hadn't operated mm-hmm. on him. So they save him, but then the parents believe he has no soul. So they kill him. Yeah. Yes, that's and, that and is the, on my list too. Ooh. But it's it's on my list because it's just so powerful. Yep. Yeah. So dark. So powerful. And it's another. It's another. It's another example of this is this this is why that when they do that when they did that on Star Trek it was not satisfying because on Star Trek it ends with well thank you for telling thank you for proving to us for making us finally realizing that our ten thousand years of religious tradition have been bunkum all along we have we feel as though we've grown from this experience thank you Starfleet right it's and thank like, you for no, bringing no. our son back to life and and. We were wrong, um, yeah, and then we all live happily ever after. Yeah. No, they kill him. Five, <laughs> our, 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 our son is a zombie. He is a he is an abomination uh, abomination of life. It it now you're making it doubly painful because not only do we know his soul has left his body, but you're forcing us to slay this thing that looks exactly like our son. You bastard! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but I thought I thought you were going to say I oh, did the great thing. 
Screw yeah. you. I'm, I'm going to go to work for Deep Space Nine where they appreciate people who violate that's, people's longstanding religious principles. That's one of those examples of uh, people making bad choices that then affect their character going forward. Yep. Well, I mean, that was the key of the first, you know, Star Trek series was a good deal of let us go in and shatter people's beliefs so we can bring them and civilize them, um, you know, to Federation standards. And, you know, if you want to worship Val, well, we're going to fix that. <laughs> we're going to show you that you're right. Your religion is wrong. The, 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 the prime directive, like, seemed to be you know, very variable. You know, so pr- your Bible is a lie. <laughs> Prime Directive was like a stop sign in New York. Yeah, it, was it was a suggestion, suggestion. for Captain yeah. Kirk. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to become addicted to stims if this goes on any longer. So I think we're going to have to close the door, on the airlock door on Babylon Five. I don't. You're, you're gonna you're gonna space this conversation. That's yep. something like that. We're all gonna climb into the uh, climb into the uh, the Kasha's ship and uh, and grieve as the Vorlons do, and then fly into the sun and sort of a Viking funeral. Forlorn Viking funeral. Uh, so I want to. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did it after we said we would do it like three years ago. Uh, it finally <laughs> happened. Uh, and, and and but but I'm not. I'm, I'm Jason. I'm not tired. I'm not tired of talking about Babylon. So 5. I was going to say, but before we go, mind. we could talk about it forever. In fact, you could do a whole podcast about Babylon Five, couldn't you, <laughs> Chip and Erica? I I could. <laughs> I tell could me, too. tell me about and, uh, it. Wow, what a great idea, guys! <laughs> Babylon Five and podcasting did go together. We proved that here. So, who could take it even further? Erica and I shall, uh, with the audio guide to Babylon Five, uh, which is going to launch in a couple of months or so at b5audioguide.com. We're going to take every episode one at a time, every couple of weeks, and we'll do it in sections. So there will be a. I'm sure the spoiler horn is trademarked, but we'll find a way to. <laughs> Talk about the episodes in order, in context, so people can watch along with us for the very first time and then take a break and then um, talk about just all of the all of the all of this foreshadowing uh, and everything else. And Erica and I and my wife, Shannon, who's been an occasional guest on um, Two Minute Time Lord and several other guests, including some of those hopefully on the on the horn with us right now, will hopefully join us in talking that would about be, it. That, that's, that sounds really good. Also, the spoiler horn, if you've got a Mac, you probably have the spoiler horn on it. It's called Fairy Fog Horn, and I think it's one of the GarageBand sound effects. So look for it on your computer. The spoiler horn is in all of us, if you've got a Mac. It's just, an, it's, it's just another ep- effort to help uh, Erica take over all of podcasting. No, that's good. That's good. That's, that needs to happen, so... Don't tell them about <laughs> oh, the plan. plan. Be careful what you ask for, Blondo. Oh dear. Uh, so, un- so you should check that out. B five audio guide It's coming, uh, and coming and uh, it's a that's a very that's a very fun idea. You, you're going to start at the beginning and just move forward. Yep. yep. I think Erica and I probably need to do some right. negotiation over which. Oh uh, well, that's true. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. This is true. And uh, so we we have come to the end, and Joe Straczynski is ready to flip the switch that turns the lights off and explodes the station so we have to go in our little shuttle and escape (laughs) so i'd like to thank my guests for talking about babylon 5 which is one of my favorite shows and i'm so glad we got to talk about it and i have to go rewatch it now so curse you all for making me rewatch it but i'll enjoy it so thank you all uh erica ensign thank you very much for being back on thank you so much for having me and i'd just like to say if i could do that i wouldn't need an encounter suit (laughs) chip sutter thank you for being here you must leave now. Finished we are. There is no more time. Leave or be trapped here forever. 
Michael Gartenberg, thank you. I must leave now because otherwise everyone would recognize me. <laughs> and Andy <laughs> Inatko. Here, take my shoe. <laughs> it will make as much sense to him as this podcast has. <laughs> and for the incomparable, I have been your host, Jason Snell. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>